in five, four, three, two, one. Obi Trice, real name, no gimmicks. Who are you? He had a voice that could make a Wolverine purr. That's what I'm talking about, man. Wait a minute, I know you. Check out the name tag. You're in my world now, Grandma. I know that, dude. He's a modern-day Yoda. I'm your huckleberry. Allow myself to introduce myself. Greetings and salutations. We came, we saw, we kicked it down. You're excited. Feel these nipples. That boy's good. Mm-hmm. Good and terrible. Well, I have a microphone, and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. Sportos, motorheads, geek bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. All right. All right, all right. It is Thursday, March 24th. Welcome into the Mike Rutherford Show. With you, as always, here from 3 o'clock until 6 o'clock, right here on 1450 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming wherever you can stream radio shows. You know it better as the Big X. Loaded show today. I'm flying solo. Trevor Kelsey's still out. I don't know. Looking for America like Paul Simon. I don't know. Uh, Trevor doing his Trevor thing. He's out for the rest of the week. Uh, Vaulting, jumping right when the Sweet 16 starts. That's his fault. we got plenty of stuff to talk about today. Sweet 16. We'll discuss. Action returns tonight. Four games. Very excited about this. Wish they were tipping off a little bit earlier, but that's okay. Will tonight be the final night in the long and storied and annoying career of Mike Krzyzewski? We'll get into that. We got guests coming up today. Filled the show with guests today because I'm flying solo. At 3.30, Cameron Teague Robinson from the Courier-Journal will hop on. He's been following the women's basketball team all season, really, but uh, in-depth during the NCAA tournament. The ladies headed to Wichita today, getting ready for Saturday's Sweet 16 game against Tennessee. Four o'clock tip on ESPN2. Hopefully two wins away from a Final Four appearance as they continue to chase the national title. At 4.30, we will talk with, a little bit interesting, a little bit different, Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. You probably know him as the guy who covers Kentucky men's basketball and football for The Athletic. But the man has written several lengthy, insightful things about Kenny Payne over the years. So I wanted to pick his brain about that. Also, uh, he wrote, because, you know, Kentucky's not playing in the tournament anymore, so you got to write about the team that knocked Kentucky out of the tournament. He wrote a very, very great piece today uh, that I enjoyed on St. Peter's and Shaheen Holloway in particular. So I wanted to get his thoughts there because St. Peter's, whether they win tomorrow night or not against Purdue, clearly one of the stories we're all going to take away from this 2022 men's NCAA tournament. And Shaheen Holloway, almost certainly, I would say, bound for Greater things, greener pastures, however you want to describe it. Uh, Whenever St. Peter's bows out of this tournament, you would assume he's going to be named the new head coach at Seton Hall, which lost Kevin Willard to Maryland. Holloway was a uh, fantastic player at Seton Hall back in the day. So we'll talk to Kyle about that. And then a little bit after 5 o'clock, about 5.10, we're going to have Brett Dawson, the uh, beat writer on the men's basketball team for the Courier-Journal, come on, talk Kenny Payne, talk recruiting, talk staff, talk all the stuff you want to hear about. And... As I glance at the Thornton sex line, 502-414-1450, we love hearing from you. It's the best way to interact with the show. It's your show, too. Not just my show, not just Trevor's show, not just Gary's show, not just whoever's show. It's your show. 
We want to hear from you. We want your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, topic ideas, whatever. Text them into the Thornton's text line, 502-414-1450. The, the texts that I've already seen coming up today have are mentioning we're playing all the hits. People want to talk about the roster. People want to talk about the latest rumors. They want to talk about the coaching staff. I, I, glancing at the text line, somebody says, any updates on who's going to say who's going to go? And a follow-up text says, any truth to the Sidney Curry stuff that you're hearing about other schools coming and calling for him, which I assume is is what this is, is referenced to. We do have a couple of updates on this front, just because some players have talked, and because there are some behind-the-scenes stuff leaking out, I, I guess. To answer the, the second texter's question there, as far as Sidney Curry is concerned, I can absolutely confirm that other schools have reached out and that their pitch to Curry has been name image likeness money, NIL money. I can't tell you exactly what schools have reached out. I can't tell you exactly what the pitch is, but that seems to have been, this seems to be happening. Now with Curry, it's a little bit different because he's the one player that we have on record coming out and saying, I'm going to be at Louisville next year. And quite frankly, he's the one player that you want on record at this point coming out and saying, I'm going to be at Louisville next year. We, we all know what a revelation he was in the second half of uh, this past season, really maybe the second, like the last fourth uh, of last season, if you want to get more specific. But down the stretch, he was, there's no question about it, Louisville's best player. And you still get the sense that he's raw. I mean, there still was a long way to go defensively. There still was a long way to go, I think, with his his passing skills. But as far as being a a big body with a fantastic touch around the rim, a guy who knows how to use that big frame, who knows how to work that left hand, who showed a nice turnaround jumper uh, in the ACC tournament that we really hadn't seen before, there's a lot to work with. And you bring in Kenny Payne, known as sort of the the big man whisperer over the years, a guy who developed Anthony Davis, developed Julius Randle, developed a ton of big men at Kentucky and beyond. You get excited about what he could do with, with Sidney Curry. And so to hear now that there are other schools trying to get involved that are throwing, sounds like a large amounts of money or promising large amounts of money, a lot of endorsements, a lot of you're going to be the face of the program type stuff at Sidney Curry. It's a little bit discouraging, but at the same time, hey, it's time to step it up, Louisville, from an NIL perspective. The story came out yesterday about Adidas launching its own, basically, NIL collective. It's going to have all this money for any Adidas athletes. The details are kind of few and far between. I think like a lot of people who saw the news yesterday, I kind of responded with, great, that sounds good. I could not begin to tell you exactly how this is going to work because I don't think Adidas can begin to tell you exactly how this is going to work. They have a overwhelming amount of money that they're going to put into this thing. But as far as like who's going to get what and how it's all going to work, those details were were few and far between. So it sounds like good news. I'm glad Adidas is getting involved in this. They're the first apparel company to make something happen, and that clearly would benefit Louisville, a program that's one of their flagship programs. But how exactly, I couldn't tell you. But Louisville needs to step it up on the NIL front. It's been a topic of discussion for weeks now, and for good reason. Everybody else seems to have capitalized in some way, shape, or form. And I say everybody else. When I say that, I mean schools that are cut from the same cloth that Louisville is, power conference schools that have solid amount of money, that have a lot of history and tradition. It seems like we're not doing as much with this, at least yet, as other schools have. So if you lose Sidney Curry just because of this, that's a not only is it a bitter pill to swallow, it's something that has to get fixed immediately. It's, you have to rectify this. You, you've got you can't lose top talent when you're a program like Louisville men's basketball 
to wherever he would end up going. I don't care if it's, I don't, I don't care where it is. You can't lose a guy because of NIL stuff. The other roster talk that's come out. I thought it was interesting hearing some of the comments that LL has made. We mentioned on yesterday's show, you know, Dre Davis was asked point blank. You know, he, he was one of the three players. It was him, LL and Jalen Withers who were around for Kenny Payne's first day as on the job. They were at the introductory press conference. They had a conversation with, with Kenny Payne directly. And Dre Davis came out and said, love what he had to say. Love the vibe that he gives off. Gives off. Feel like Louisville basketball is in good hands moving forward. But I've got a decision to make. Was not committal. And maybe some of that is, is, is him not knowing how Kenny Payne feels about him. How, how Kenny Payne feels about his brother. Maybe he wants, you would assume that where, wherever Dre Davis winds up going, his little brother Deontay, who's currently signed to play at Louisville, is probably going to go as well. Just because if they didn't want that type of relationship, if they didn't want to be teammates, why would, would, would Tay Davis come to Louisville? So if you lose Dre Davis, you probably lose Tay Davis too. If you keep Dre Davis, you're probably bringing Dre, uh, Tay Davis in as well. But Dre was not committal. But L. Ellis was asked a similar set of questions and kind of had a similar set of answers. He was asked about Kenny Payne, the conversation they had, and he said, quote, this is via uh, Cardinal Authority. He said, I take it back, this is via Louisville Report, Matt McGavick over there. He said, he sounds like a, he seems like a down-to-earth guy. That's what I want. I've heard he's a player's coach. He's really just been down-to-earth and talking to me, just trying to get to know me, trying to get to know us, and asking us how things went. He said, of course I'm, I'm thinking about coming back. I love Louisville. Right now I'm going to try to build that relationship with Coach Kenny. I'm just going to take it day by day, continue to talk to him, and maybe I don't have to enter the portal. If I build a good enough relationship there, I probably don't need it. So encouraging on one front that he's saying, if we can continue to build on the, the solid first steps in this relationship, I'm probably not going to have to enter the portal. I'll stay at Louisville. But the fact that it's even being considered, I, I think, is sort of is news to some people. There was some talk after the season that L. Ellis, like Sidney Curry, was going to be one of those guys who just said, doesn't matter who the head coach is, love it at Louisville, want to get a taste of this program under normal circumstances, want to get a taste of this program when it's flying the way it usually is, competing for NCAA tournament seeding, competing for top four seed in the ACC tournament, not what I experienced last year. I'm sticking it out here. But for him to come out and say, I'm thinking about coming back. Maybe I won't have to enter the portal. Just goes to show that how seriously he thought about going elsewhere. Maybe not just in the last couple of weeks, but throughout the season. And it's hard to blame him. Um, other guys that, that we have talked about, at least from a recruiting standpoint, Cardinal Authority, this is the, the, the Cardinal Authority quotes that I, I was going to bring up. Kamari Lands, the top-rated commit in Louisville's 2022 class. He's excited about Kenny Payne. He, I think the comments that he's made... And not just the Instagram responses that he was making when he was taking questions the other day where you know, he basically said, I'm coming to Louisville. I love Kenny Payne. Uh, but now he's on the record in a more uh, official venue saying, I love Kenny Payne's experience at Kentucky and in the pros. That's what I'm looking for. It's what I'm excited about. I've been told he's a player's coach. That's good. Uh, he goes on to say about Louisville, it's a basketball town for sure. They said the right things. They showed me what I needed to see with all of that. I, I loved it. It was I was very impressed with everything that I saw at Louisville. Everything seems to be pointing towards Kamari Lance, who's a top 60 player in the in the 2022 class, coming to Louisville. Not minding the coaching change, not minding whatever. He's going to be a Cardinal. And I think Kamari Lance is a guy who's good enough, depending on how the rest of the roster shakes out. But I think Kamari Lance is good enough that he could start from day one. 
I know we've had a little bit of a, a rough time with highly touted freshmen coming in here and maybe not living up to expectations right out of the gate, but we have a new coach. Maybe things are going to be different. But Kamari Lands, you should be excited about him. You should be happy that it sounds like he's going to stay here. And dependent upon who comes back, who stays, who comes in, who doesn't, he could be a big-time performer in year one as a freshman. Now, the other thing that we have discussed this week is the notion that, and it's not just here. I'm not the only one saying he's heard this. I've heard it other places. I believe it. I think it's the case. Kenny Payne wants to keep five scholarship players. From the current roster. Just five. Gabe's gone. That's all we know. Well, besides the the other three departed freshmen. Malik Williams not getting a seventh year. Mason Faulkner's not coming back. Neither is Jared West. If you're assuming that Curry is going to say, based on what he said in the past, and that LL is based on his comments saying, assuming I have a great relationship with Kenny Payne and it continues, I'm going to come back. I'm not going to enter the portal. That's two. Mike James has already said he wants to come back. That's three. Roosevelt Wheeler, promising freshman, showed some flashes. You kind of think he might come back. That's four. And then J.J. Trainer, I've said this before, there's a pre-existing relationship between him and Kenny Payne. So much so that when Kenny Payne was rumored to be taking the DePaul job last uh, about this time last year, there was a sense within the Louisville community that if that happens, J.J. Trainer is going to be a DePaul balloon demon. With that being the case, it stands to reason that J.J. Trainer would stick around with Kenny Payne being the new head coach here, whereas he may have gone if quite literally anybody else had gotten that job. If that's the truth, that's five right there. Noah Locke, I don't think, is, is coming back. I think if he uses his extra year of eligibility, it's going to be somewhere else. Sam Williamson has heard from several schools. I think he would be an attractive transfer option. Or if he wants to go ahead and get his pro career started, start making some money. He could do that. I think that's probably more like, I'm not going to pretend to know definitively what Sam's going to do, but if you're asking me to lean one, one way or the other, I would lean towards Sam not coming back. Matt Cross, I don't think anybody knows even where he is. I don't think anybody knows what's going on with Matt Cross. Um, but the buzz for a long time had been Cross was going to leave before Chris Mack even was parted ways with. I'm assuming that would, I, I'm not going to say definitively one way or the other, but I, I'm a, if I had to lean again, like Williamson, I would lean with Matt Cross not coming back. So you're, you're kind of looking at five, six guys there, potentially in the mix. You can pick and choose which ones you want. And then you've got three incoming freshmen. Dre Davis is the other one. And again, if you don't take Dre Davis, if, if you say thanks but no thanks, or if he says thanks but no thanks to you, you probably lose his brother as well. If you bring him in, if you keep him, Tay Davis is coming as well. Frederick King, we don't know what's going on with him down there in the Bahamas. But if he's coming, that puts you at eight. That's still five scholarships to work with. And if you believe Kenny Payne is in on Sky Clark, maybe in on one of these other five-star kids that's still out there or that has become recently available in the last week or so, maybe he brings in another one of those. You know he's going to be in the portal. You know he's going. To, we're going to bring in a couple more transfers, maybe some grad transfers, maybe some traditional transfers that don't have to sit out because of the new rules. I'm so excited to dive in and find out exactly what this roster is going to be. I'm excited to see who stays and who goes, but I'm really excited to see the new pieces because for the most part with the guys coming back, I think we know what we would be getting. Obviously, we saw Sidney Curry develop over last season. How Just how good can he become? How much better can he get? 
I'd be curious to see that. But the other guys, for the most part, and LLS, I think, falls into that same category. Trey Davis, you kind of know what you're getting. I think he can be better than he's been the last two years, but you know what he brings to the table. You know what his skill set is. He's a dog. He's going to work hard. He's going to scrap for boards. He's, a, I think, a very, very good 6'6 post-up guy. He's got a terrific mid-range turnaround jumper. He's got to work on decision-making. He's got to work on not dribbling into four guys. He's got to work on, I think, finishing sometimes. Also, knowing when to go up when you get an offensive rebound and knowing when to kick it out. That's all stuff that can be coached. It's all stuff that can be taught. I'd be excited if he came back, though, because I think he's one of those. I'll use the, the basketball cliche. He's a glue guy. He can help this transitional period where you're bringing in a ton of newcomers, both young and transfer wise. And he can kind of be that bridge a little bit. Now, the, the weird thing about where we are right now, as opposed to where we've been in the past, when you've been wanting to keep around a quote unquote glue guy is how much of a bridge to the past are you really looking to keep around now? Do you really want uh, Dre Davis saying, this is how we do things around here? Because the last two years, which have been the only two that uh, Dre Davis has spent at UofL, have not been up to Louisville standards. So maybe you don't care all that much about it. But I do think there is at least something to be said for just the fam- familiarity of the facilities, the campus, practice sessions, all that good stuff, knowing what it's like to be a Louisville Cardinal, know what it's like, knowing what it's like to interact with fans in the community knowing how the media obligations work, all that good stuff. Dre Davis can help out with that. I would like having him around just for that sole reason. I also, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know what Mike James brings to the table because we haven't seen him. He got hurt before we could even see him play in a red-white scrimmage. But the buzz this summer, I use that word again, was promising. How much are we going to buy into that? That's, That's up to you. But there was talk that Mike James, I think, was going to help last year's team a lot more than the staff coming into practice thought he was going to be able to. And then Roosevelt Wheeler. I feel like we still haven't really gotten to know exactly what he could bring to the table. We've seen a little bit flat. I mean, I, I think he's got a terrific physique for a freshman big man. I think he can grow, he can get even bigger. We saw what looked like a promising jumper, what looked like some nice skills around the rim. I think he's still raw defensively, like Sidney Wheeler. Sidney Curry, I mean. I'd like to see Roosevelt Wheeler come back. Because I think he could be a very, very good big man. Again, under the tutelage of a guy with a reputation for being a fantastic molder of big men. As far as, I mean, so question comes up on the text line now. 502-414-1450, would you even want Sam Williamson back? My answer would be yes, if I'm just being honest. Just because I think he has a skill set that he can be more than he's been. The guy that we've seen for two or three games at a time where he's going for, he becomes a reliable 15 and 12 guy. I think he can be closer to that player than the guy who's been virtually non-existent for the other half of his career here. I think he may be more than anybody besides Malik Williams got caught up in all the negativity of the past year. And I think just, you can use lack of maturity or whatever you want to use, just didn't want to work his way through it, didn't want to deal with it anymore, didn't like it, wasn't happy with the staff, wasn't happy with the way things were going. And maybe for all those reasons, I mean, Louisville has to have sort of a, a bad taste in his mouth at this point. The three years that he's gotten here have not been what he signed up for. Year one, he's on a really good team. I think he's probably okay with playing behind a guy like Jordan Wara, who's going to be an NBA draft pick in a few months. But the postseason gets taken away because of the pandemic. Year two, I'm sure he's thinking, like, I'm a McDonald's All-American. I was body my time last year behind first-team All-ACC performer. Now it's my time. This is my team. 
didn't really pop off like that. I mean, it became Carlick Jones' team, and if it was anybody besides Carlick's, it was David Johnson, another guy from Sam's class. And Sam, I think, initially didn't handle it well at all. He stepped up in the second half of the season, had a very good, very strong second half of the year. And I think we thought we were going to get that Sam in year three. And we didn't. He didn't start right out of the gate. That was a red flag. He got beat up by Dre Davis. But you still saw, I mean, you saw it as recently as the last game they played against Virginia. You saw it against Georgia Tech in the ACC tournament as well, the game before. He can be a serviceable player. He, he can be a good player at this level. If he's fully motivated, he needs to be he needs to be pushed the way that we hope Kenny Payne and whoever he brings on his staff are going to push these kids. Remember when Rick Pitino got here and all of a sudden a guy like Ellis Miles, a guy like Luke Whitehead, guys that we kind of were like, this isn't Louisville standard. These guys shouldn't be out there. Remember how much we got out of those guys in those initial two years under Rick Pitino? Luke Whitehead was the Conference USA Tournament MVP in 2003. He couldn't make a 10-foot jumper the first couple of years under Denny Crum. I think it's reasonable to have that hope with this new coaching staff that we can get similar leaps from guys that have shown promise at times, but just haven't been able to put it all together for whatever reason. And I think Sam Williamson's one of those guys that you point to in circle and say, if Kenny Payne's all that we're hoping he is, if his staff is all that we're hoping it is, he can make Sam Williamson not like a first-team All-ACC player, but a good player on a good team, which is something that he hasn't been so far. So to answer the question, yeah, I, I'd like to see Sam stick around. Do I think that it's eh, more likely than not? I still lean towards him leaving. But if Kenny Payne really wants him, we'll see. Texter says, if you had to bet your whole life savings on the 2022-2023 uh, recruit commuting, committing to Payne, who would you put it on? I mean, you're asking too much of me right now. I've got no idea. I mean, DJ Wagner is the only person that we know has significant interest in Louisville. At least from the 2023 class. 2022, I, I think there's some stuff out there. Well, we know at least one guy that Louisville has reached out to um, besides Sky Clark, which the, the, the buzz is there. But Louisville has officially reached out to Tyrell Ward, who was a keeping it all in the uh, the recent family here. He was a former Xavier commit who considered Louisville when Chris Mack was here. He comes out of DeMatha Catholic, the, the D.C. powerhouse. He'll, I think, be a top target for Kevin Willard at Maryland right out of the gate. Uh, I think I've said that three times now. I'm sorry. The right out of the gate. I'm, I'm running out of cliches here already. I, I think Kevin Willard will prioritize trying to get Tyrell Ward just because he'd be a splashy commit to get that tenure off and running at Maryland where the fan base is, I think, a little bit mm, a little bit lukewarm about Kevin Willard coming to town. Virginia Tech also hired uh, his high school coach, so this could be the second straight year where we lose a guy to Virginia Tech, a program that we have owned over the years. Uh, Georgetown, you assume, will get involved in that D.C. area, but Louisville has reached out to him. We are on his list. That's one to keep an eye on. If I'm, it, I'll, I'll try to answer the question as best I can, because I would probably put, at least as of right now, I'd be more willing to bet my life savings on Sky Clark coming here than I would DJ Wagner. And that's not me thinking the worst with DJ Wagner. I'm saying it's 50-50 right now. That's my and, and that's that's me speculating. Just based on the few people I've talked to, the few things that I've heard, I think it's about 50-50. Sky Clark, 
I think if Louisville really prioritizes him, and we've seen Kamari Lands on Instagram saying, I'm, I'm trying to get Sky Clark. I think they can get Sky Clark. Top 25 kid. I think maybe he wouldn't want to go up against UK because I do think his feelings were genuine. When he posted about how sad he was to to not be interacting with the BBN anymore, I think he, he was genuine. He's been committed to UK for two years. He's not going there because they're bringing back their starting point guard from this past season, and he wants to be a starter at a big-time program. We got a spot for you here, kid. You can be a starter at a big-time program in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and you don't have to wear blue. We can make that happen. All right, we got to go to break. More of your texts. I appreciate everybody who texted in there. We'll get to those, I promise, uh, at the start of the second hour. But coming back, we're going to have Cameron Teague Robinson on to talk about the women's basketball team. They're leaving for Wichita today, getting ready for Saturday. Sweet 16 game against Tennessee. We'll talk to him coming up after the break. It's the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 The Big X. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. Welcome back in. Thursday edition, Mike Rutherford Show. Rolling on here on 1450, the Big X. We've got Sweet 16 action on the men's side tonight. But locally here, I think more eyes focus on this weekend. The women's team will take on Tennessee. The four-seated volunteers, Lady Vols, um, will take on the cards. Four o'clock, ESPN2, out in the Wichita region. Cards two wins away from a Final Four, their first since 2018. To talk more about uh, UofL, Jeff Walls, and the cards hitting the road, we're going to bring in Cameron Teague Robinson from the Courier-Journal. First time we've talked to Cam in a while. Cam, how are you, man? Thanks for joining the show. I'm good. Not a problem. I appreciate you having me. How's the, uh, what's your travel schedule looking like? Are you headed with the team, or how, how's that going to work out for you this weekend? Yeah, we're, we're about to get on a flight here probably in the next 20, 20 30-ish minutes. Um, hopefully being what's all pretty pretty soon um so i'll be there at some point this evening wichita soak it up man that's all i can say and enjoy yeah. the the sights oh, yeah. and the sounds it's going to be a fantastic weekend uh yeah. reacting to what we saw last weekend louisville cruises by albany in the first round as you would expect a one seed to do and then gets pushed a little bit by gonzaga the nine seed in the second round uh, i guess based on your expectations for the team going into this tournament uh, how do you think they play was it a strong start or, or were there some things there that make you a little bit uh, hesitant about their chances this weekend in Wichita? I think it's a little bit of both. I thought it was a pretty, I mean, pretty dominant win against Albany. I think in the, and I think a really good win against the Gonzaga team. I thought that game would be single digits. I really thought Gonzaga would push them a little more than they did. Just because of the way how tough Gonzaga is defensively and their guards really control the pace. I just thought Louisville sped them up so much. So I thought in terms of the two wins, I thought that was as good as a start you could get, especially in an upset heavy tournament already. Um, I, the only thing I worry about right now is the bench. The bench really didn't do much against Albany. They didn't really have to, but they didn't do much against Gonzaga either. Um, you need to get more from Peyton, Verholtz, and Alana Smith. Um, that's, that's the big thing for me because they're going to need their depth. At some point, they're going to get in foul trouble in this tournament. Who's, who's going to step up coming off the bench? And the bench has been good all year. Um, just, just wasn't great that, that one weekend. Looking to Saturday's game against Tennessee, I mean, I think if you were rooting for – if you were watching the Belmont-Tennessee game as a Louisville fan a couple of days ago, you always want the, the, the lower-seeded team. It's, it's, it's natural to root for a 12 seed when they're taking on a 4. But it's specifically right. for this matchup, I mean, Tennessee has a 6-6 center. They've got a 6-5 center. They're very big. Jeff Walls traditionally does not like to have that traditional 5 spot. It seems like this could be maybe a, a trickier-than-expected matchup for the Cards on Saturday just because of that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think the big thing for me is just the way Tennessee plays defense. They're very physical. They remind me a little bit of Miami. I think they're a lot bigger and more athletic than Miami, but very physical defense. So if they're really locked in and focused defensively, it could be a tough one. I, th- I don't worry too much about the size of Tennessee because they don't shoot the ball great from deep. Um, and they don't um, – and, and Louisville does a really good job of ke- ke- like pressuring guard to make post, post passes not as clean. So I don't worry too much about that when it comes to Tennessee. Um, I just think Louisville has to keep them off the boards um, and, and try to try to content, try to really um, be as efficient as possible offensively. I haven't seen this talked about a whole lot in the last uh, couple of days, and maybe I've just missed it. But do you make anything of Tennessee having a little bit more of an advantage than they would in, in other circumstances because they have Samantha Williams as an assistant coach who spent a solid amount of time under Jeff Walls here at U of L? I don't see I don't see much about that. I, I think Louisville I, I think Walls and that coaching staff do a really good job of game planning regardless of who they are. I, I think this team is just so much different than some teams he's had in the past. It's really he, he just does a really good job of game planning for the team he has. Um and get, and, and and setting his plan around his team. So I don't worry too much about that. I, I don't think even the coaching staff worries about that. I, I think that's sometimes that can be a bit overblown. We're talking with the Courier Journal's Cameron Teague Robinson here about the Louisville women's basketball team. Headed to Wichita now, getting ready for a Sweet 16 matchup against Tennessee on Saturday. Uh, Cam, you wrote about Haley Van Lith today, a player who had a big game against Gonzaga uh, to get this team to the Sweet 16. She's not somebody, when you you hear her talk, you watch her play, you would ever assume would struggle with confidence. But you wrote about that, her finding her confidence after some struggles. Um, For fans who maybe haven't had a chance to check out the article, give them a little bit of a taste of, of what you had to say. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Haley was so open about how much she struggled last year with confidence. And I, I think that can happen for kids when they come out, of, come out of a high school where they're so ball-dominant, like they're the person who has the ball in their hand all the time. It's hard to adjust when you have the number two player behind, say, Dana Abbott and Deanna Smith and, and stuff like that. So I thought it was interesting how much she's gained that over the offseason and how she really had to focus on it um, during her workouts. Uh, I, I didn't know that you could really practice confidence, but I think Haley makes a good point that when you, when you work hard, I think confidence comes with that. So that, that was interesting. Do you make any – I mean, Jeff Walls is a coach who over the years has drawn – he loves to be slighted, L- loves to uh, to take anything that he can play up uh, as far as uh, the media. They're not giving us any credit. The ACC coaches, they don't, they're not giving us any credit. Right. Like, a lot of these reseeding the Sweet 16s have Louisville as not one of the four best teams remaining in the tournament. Do you think that this is something that the coaching staff is going to play up with these with oh, these players? Oh, man. If you, if you know Jeff Walton, yes. <laughs> um, that, yeah, for sure. They know that. Um, but I think also they're focused so much on Tennessee that I don't think they care. I think they know when they play their game that they're one of the best teams in the country. You really look at it this year, I don't see – like really outside of maybe Miami or, or maybe North Carolina, sorry, that there hasn't been a game where I felt like Louisville was outplayed. I felt like they, they, they hurt themselves in those losses. So you feel like when Louisville plays their best, they're one of the two or three best teams in the country. So regardless of the seeding, I think they, they, they're focused on just themselves right now. You mentioned the, the bench needing to be better this weekend. Outside of that, based on what you've seen from Louisville, this team down the stretch, not just uh, this, this past weekend, but also the AC tournament lost to Miami and the way they played at the end of the regular season, what needs to be better in order to, for them to be celebrating a Final Four trip in five days? Yeah, like I said, I think that they have to get more from their bench this weekend. Um, and I think they have they, their guards have to rebound. It's not going to be a Emily Inkler or Olivia Cochran Liz Dixon show. Their guards have to rebound against Tennessee, Michigan, or South Dakota. Um, and you can't turn the ball over. They've been pretty good at that going throughout throughout the year. 
Um, but you really can't turn the ball over against these types of teams. All right, he is Cameron Teague Robinson. Follow him on Twitter at CJ underscore Teague. Cam, safe travels to Wichita, and we'll be reading your stuff uh, all week and hopefully into the, the Final Four next week. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. All right, that was Cameron Teague Robinson. About to head off to Wichita following the cards to uh, the Wichita Regional. They're going to play Tennessee on Saturday at 4 o'clock. ESPN 2's got the coverage. If they win that game, they will play on Monday then in an Elite Eight matchup against either uh, third-seeded Michigan or the Cinderella of the region, the South Dakota Coyotes. Uh, That's going to be – those two teams are going to play at 6.30. I guess it will be 30 minutes after whenever Louisville and Tennessee wraps up. Cam wrote a really good story, I thought, today on Haley Van Lith, and, and he touched on it briefly. There. I, don't, I know the audio was a little bit when he's when you're walking you know, through the terminal, when you're trying to go out to the plane, sometimes stuff like that happens. And it sounds like, you know, a, a portal to Hoth has been opened and you're, you're trying to do conduct an interview there. But uh, Cam did write about Haley Van Lith. And, and like I said, she's somebody who when you watch her play or when you hear her talk in a postgame press conference or a postgame interview, you would never think struggles with confidence. But like Cam was saying, she had all this hype coming out of high school. She averaged 33 points per game her final year of high school basketball. She was friends with Kobe Bryant. She had hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. She's over millions of followers on Instagram now. Everybody knew who Haley Van Lith was. She was one of the, the handful of women's basketball players on the planet coming out of high school that everybody knew about. And so when she gets here and Dana Evans is the player, the focal point, the All-American, the All-ACC player, the ACC player of the year, and you've got to kind of play second fiddle for the first time in your life, it's going to have a, a weird effect on you mentally. And she talked about how much that her dad has helped her. Her dad went through a similar thing, apparently, when he, in his playing days. Uh, her dad has told her, you know, you got to be the biggest believer in yourself until you believe that every shot's going to go in when you when it leaves your hand. You can stop practicing because it's not going to help you anymore. And I think you've seen Haley Van Lis' work ethic. We know all about that. Jeff Wall says, I went out to recruit her. The training she did was off the charts. I've never seen anybody work out like this. I watched her on a rowing machine. The thing was about to burn up. I've never seen a kid go so hard. It's just what she does. So you can have the greatest work ethic in the entire world if you're dealing with the mental hurdle of doubting yourself for maybe the first time in your quote-unquote adult life as a player. It's going to have an effect on you. And you've seen that with Haley at various times this year. I think as good as she's been, and she was a first-team All-ACC performer, she was fantastic on Sunday against Gonzaga, she may not have popped off the way that a lot of people thought she was going to this year. Just because you lose Dana Evans, you assume that somebody's going to step in and, and have the same level of production that she had in her senior year. And Haley was the most obvious person to point to. All the recruiting accolades, all the skill sets. We saw flashes of her brilliance last year as a freshman. And I think some people, and I, I would put myself in, in this category, just sort of assumed she'd be somewhere around a 20-point-per-game score this year because of the more opportunities that she was going to have with Dana being gone. And it hasn't really happened. She's been great, but she hasn't been All-American good. She was first-team All-ACC good. She wasn't ACC Player of the Year good. And it's going to take time. And maybe we put unfair expectations on her. I think next year is the year, and Wall said this in in Cam's story on the Courier Journal. Next year, I expect her to be markedly better. I think we all do. So I'm excited about this weekend. Very excited to watch the women play. Very excited to hopefully move on to the Elite Eight, and then we can get back to the Final Four for the first time since 2018. People always, I, I keep seeing all these these stories about U of L, and there's a great one uh, on the Athletic today by Nicole Arback, 
who points out, you know, Louisville wins basketball. You never would assume this because they've been so good for so long under Jeff Walls, and you think Louisville basketball, and you think success, and you think a long history of success. Louisville women's basketball really had no history, no tradition until Walls got here. They'd never been to a Sweet 16, which never made sense to me. And Walls, in the story, gives an extreme amount of credit to Tom Jurich. You know, he, he says, I got here. We had players. Don't get me wrong. He's like, I, he's like, I have to point that out. We had players here when I when I arrived. We had Angel McCautry. She needed to be tamed a little bit. She needed to, to have some coaching, but we had Angel McCautry. And I knew we were going to be good right off the bat. But Tom Jurt sat me down and said, I don't want this to be like it's been in the past where every fourth or fifth year we got a team that's pretty good. I want to be good every year. I want Louisville women's basketball to be right there with the men. And it's happened. I mean, hell, they have surpassed the men. I mean, while the the men's team has been in headlines for all the wrong reasons for really the last eight years, more or less, the women's basketball program has become a a beacon of consistency. Number one seed three of the last four years. Third most wins in all of women's college basketball since Walsh got here. Multiple Final Fours. Multiple national title game appearances. Should have had a national title uh, when the awful call went against us against Mississippi State. It's the one thing left that Jeff Walls hasn't done. Win a national title. He's four wins away. Would love to see it happen. Uh, Thornton's text line is 502-414-1450. We'll go back there since you guys uh, were pouring some in there in the first 30 minutes or so and couldn't get to him. Texas says, Kyle Tucker, when he comes on, must play Wordle. <laughs> I do love that this has become a thing now, that every guest that comes on, everybody who co-hosts the show, they just have to play Wordle at some point because Trevor does it. Gary, do you play Wordle? We're going to have to get Gary Clark doing it. No, I don't. We're going to have to fire it up. You're going to have to start. I have no idea what it's like. You, you'll still be better than Trevor. Is that right? We explained the rules to Trevor about five times. He just didn't listen to him. He's like, well, why are these colors in yellow? I'm like, I've already told you. It means they're in the word. They're just in the wrong place. So where do I have to go to play this game? If you Google search play Wordle. Play Wordle. It'll okay. just come up. You'll All be able right. to find it very easily. It's, All right. You can get the hang of it very quickly. You're a smart guy. You'll have no trouble. No. Don't worry about it. Um, Dexter says... This is the Kentucky fan. You say Wagner's 50-50 going to UofL is the same thing as Trevor saying he's 50-50 eating a salad. It's not going to happen. I don't know, guys. The UK the UK people I know, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, I said I know some UK people within the basketball program, and they all have said you can hire Milt Wagner, you can hire Dewan Wagner, you can hire Granddaddy Wagner, you can hire every Wagner that exists. DJ Wagner's not going to Louisville. He's going to Kentucky. They've changed their tune a little bit. They're not saying he's definitely going to Louisville. They're not saying he's definitely not going to Kentucky. But they've changed their tune a little bit. They are not nearly as confident as they were a week and a half ago. I think it's 50-50. I do expect... The two guys that I've said, I still nothing's changed as far as the staff is concerned because I know that's the other question that keeps popping up on the text line. I would expect Nolan Smith to be an assistant coach on Kenny Payne's staff. I think you'll hear that shortly after, whenever Duke gets bounced from the NCAA tournament. Probably going to be tonight. I'm saying that. It's a prediction. Take it to the bank. I think Milt Wagner, I'm not saying he's going to be a, a full-time assistant either. I think we'll be on the staff in some way, shape, or form. And I think Reese Gaines will as well. I'm not saying those two guys are going to fill assistant spots. Nolan Smith will. But I think you'll have Milt involved on the Louisville basketball staff in some form. And that's, I mean, helps you with DJ. There's no question about it. 
I'm I, I'm not saying Kentucky, the text. I'm not saying Kentucky doesn't have a chance. They absolutely have a chance for a myriad of reasons. They've been on DJ Wagner forever. That the whole staff went and saw him play at the beginning of this week. But Louisville has a absolutely has a fighting chance. Texture says on Sam Williamson, he just doesn't have a position. He's too small to dominate inside, and he has no perimeter game. I guess I don't care if he stays, but is he okay to come off the bench? If we're going to be competitive next year, Curry and Ellis should be the only returning players that can maybe start. I share your excitement on the new blood and the new roster, but I am probably okay with keeping four or five of the current roster at most. Let's get four and five-star guys and stay active in the transfer portal, and Kenny could turn this around by year two, year two or sooner. Go Cards. I agree with that. I think I'm right there pretty much in lockstep with you. I do think I maybe think more highly of Sam's potential than you do just because I feel like every now and then he does something that I kind of forgot he could do or that I didn't think he could do. The the, the, the game, the point about his perimeter game is absolutely true. Remember the big talk this summer with Sam revamping his outside shot and how it was going to make him markedly better? And I'll blame Jeff Greer for this as I blame Jeff Greer for most things. And Greer wrote about it. Greer went and watched practices. He was invited a couple of times to go watch the team play. And he's like, shot looks different. It looks great. I think he's going to be a better three-point shooter. The shot looked different and the shot looked terrible is what exactly happened during the, when the actual game started being played. Sam, I mean, Sam wouldn't shoot from the outside. He took a few at the beginning of the year. I think he went one for six in the first four games. And then, you know, he stopped playing pretty much at all during the middle part of the season. And when he did play... He wouldn't even take an outside shot. Teams were leaving him wide open. He at least started pulling the trigger towards the end of the year, but he wasn't making any. And the, the, the texture's right. I mean, he he's not big enough to make up for that lack of an outside shot with this fantastic post game. He's tried to post guys up at, at various times and it hasn't gone well. He also, we've seen this time and time again, even when he gets a matchup against a seemingly bigger and slower opponent, he can't go around him. The fadeaway jump shot that he took way too often at the end of the season didn't go down enough. But if he can, I still think, I mean, that little curl, the, the set that they would run for him, specifically when Mike Pegues was calling the shots, where he would get his momentum going towards the basket, and then he was cramming on people. He's more of an athlete than we've seen. He may not have the lateral quickness that you would expect from somebody with his billing, but he's definitely... I think more athletic than you would assume if you watch him play just a given five-minute stretch where he seems almost invisible. I think there's more there, is what I'm saying. Do I think he'd have to come off the bench? Probably. And I say this not knowing who we would bring in to play his spots, but I still think he probably is going to have to come off the bench. (laughs) But if he's going to have the right attitude, if he's going to be a senior leader, if he's going to be willing to work to revamp his game and do whatever this new staff tells him, I'd be okay with it. I'd be okay with him coming back. Texas says, how do you know Wagner has this confirmed significant interest? Hearing the way you are talking about Kenny Payne now, I can't believe there was ever a time you doubted him. Well, I mean, this was never, this was always part of the equation. Part of the equation was always, if you hire Kenny Payne, DJ Wagner is going to become a viable option. Like that's, this is not new information. This was, we were talking about this in late January. Kenny Payne knows DJ Wagner. Knows the family well. There's an existing relationship. I'm not breaking any ground. They're all from, you know, the famous Camden connection up there. That's the Wagners. There's that tie to Louisville. Even though Dewan didn't come here, Louisville was heavily involved in his recruitment. He knows people here at Louisville. This is I, not, I'm not breaking any new ground here. 
Texas says, I listened to the podcast version of yesterday's show, and when you talked to Sean Moth about Trinity baseball being played on the football field, it took me back to when I played soccer at Providence High School in Clarksville, and the soccer field was in the outfield of the baseball field, which made the outfield absurdly long down the lines and middle, maybe 480, and that seems really long. There was one guy who went to Jeff that was apparently really good that hit a homer, and he was one of the very few people that could do it on the field when I was there. And that's how Trinity was, too. It was, like I said, I... I was exaggerating a little bit, but it was probably 225, 230 straight down the left field line. There was always a rumor. We had a coach um, my senior year, Jeff Wagner, who played at St. X, who claimed that he hit a line drive off a third baseman's glove that went over that fence for a home run his senior year of high school when he was playing for St. X. Not sure if that was true or not. Could absolutely have happened. But if you, like, right center, the very farthest part of the field where the football seats ended and connected to the like where the gate ended with the track and all that stuff it was probably like 500 feet away the dimensions couldn't have been worse and the goalpost being in play was the that was the the, the cherry on top that was what everybody noticed but there's a, a great twitter account and i don't have it in front of me but there's a twitter account that just tweets odd high school baseball fields from above and there's so many of these because look baseball is not the money maker for really any high school that football is and that basketball is for most high schools so you're not going to, unless you're a school that's just rolling in it, divvy out a whole bunch of money for a, a fantastic baseball field, or unless you're a public school that has the money via the state to invest in that. So a lot of times you get baseball fields that are kind of worked into football fields or baseball fields that are just on uneven ground or that, hey, there's a piece of land. Let's mow some of it down, put up a fence. And we'll call it a baseball field. There's all these across the country. It's a great account. But Trinity's would have been fantastic back in the day. Now they have their own field, which is is wonderful. We also, actually, did you not play at Thurman Hutchins? We split time. It was weird. So the first year that Trinity ever played at Thurman Hutchins Park was my sophomore year. And then my junior year, we went back to the football field. And then my senior year, we went back to Thurman Hutchins. So my junior year, and we had we, we were loaded with talent my junior year. We had a bunch of guys who went D1. Um, we went all the way to the state title game, won the, the, the school's first region title in like 20 years. And we would host really good teams, and we're playing on this just awful, awful field with just potholes in the outfield because it's the football field, cleat marks everywhere, goalposts in play, and it was embarrassing. But now they don't have to worry about that. Uh, Scooter Ding is texting in now. I go to him for all things Providence baseball, and he confirms the Providence baseball field is massive. Didn't matter to me, though. I was a bunting slash strikeout machine. <laughs> well done, my friend. Well said. Um, Texter said, oh, this is a, a KRC text. Again, the rules are the rules. We read KRC text. Doesn't matter if Trevor's here. Doesn't matter if I don't have a co-host. If you text into Kentucky Roll Call and the text comes through from three to six, I'm reading it on air during my show. And the big news in the world of Kentucky athletics today, if you missed it, Dante Allen, fan favorite, uh, Mr. Basketball, despite playing negative five games his senior year, he is transferring. Not exactly earth-shattering news. He has played sparingly the last two years, despite the fans' insistence that they would be so much better if, if Cal would give him a little bit more run. Um, but KRC Texture says, Pilgrim's pod on Dante's departure is so funny. Jack makes it sound like Cal never gave Dante a chance. Is there anything that Kentucky fans... I, I say this honestly. If you're a UK fan listening to this show, I want you to text in the text line and give me an honest answer. Outside of losses, outside of just, you know, losing to St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament, losing to Kansas State in the NCAA tournament, not getting it done against Wisconsin, like 
whatever loss it, it irks you the most. Is there anything that has made fans more mad at John Calipari than the Dante Allen stuff? The only thing that I can think of is the comments about it's more about getting guys to the draft and the draft night was the greatest day in the history of Kentucky basketball. Like that to me is the only thing that I feel like has gotten UK fans a little bit more irked than the Dante Allen stuff. And even that was those comments were happening when the team when the program was rolling. UK fans are furious about this. And I get like it was an all-time egg on Cal's face moment when he played he finally gave in to the the mob. He gave in to the mob and played Dante Allen in that game against Mississippi State two years ago. And then Allen hit like nine threes and almost single handedly I think he did they you guys would know better than I would. I think you guys won it overtime. If you did, like he single handedly won that game. And if you lost, he single handedly tried to win that game. And it was, I mean, Cal afterwards, like, I've got to play him. I guess I gotta play him. And then he barely played him. And I get it. He sucks at defense. He's bad at defense. I've watched enough Kentucky to know that he's not great defensively. But for a program and for two teams in back-to-back years that have struggled so much with outside shooting, you'd think you'd be able to find a spot for him. It's kind of how I felt about Jordan Wara, his freshman season, 2017-18, where I, I know David Padgett was the coach, and I'm sure David was doing what Patino used to do, which was, if you can't defend, if you're not going to work defensively, I can't play you. You put him in, and he hit like four threes on a team that desperately needed some offense it's sometimes you just got to work with those guys. Uh, Texter, I'm assuming this is a UK fan, says Don Allen would be lucky to be the sixth man at Bellarmine. So there you go. Maybe not all UK fans are are, are all that upset about Dante leaving as the guy who texted in first. Um, hey, if Bellarmine wants Dante Allen, I'd love it if he went there. They're, they're losing Dylan Penn, probably. Have confirmed there's a chance that if the rule gets changed next month and Bellarmine's eligible for the NCAA tournament next season, Dylan Penn could choose to come back uh, to be you and be a knight for one more season. But he did a- enter the transfer portal yesterday. I'm sure he'll be a guy that some major programs, and, and probably more some of those purgatory programs, A-10 schools, AAC schools, maybe some, I don't know, MAC-level schools would be interested in. But he, he can play. He can absolutely play. And I'd love to see him in his career at Bellarmine. I'd love to see him in his career in the NCAA tournament. That would be a fantastic story to go out on. Uh, you, we have more questions here, but we've got to go to break. When we come back, hour number two is on the way next. I do have some sweet 16 facts that I want to get to. We'll take more of your text on the Thornton's text line. And then at 4.30, Kyle Tucker will join us. He'll talk Kenny Payne as well as St. Peter's Peacocks and Shaheen Holloway. All that good stuff is coming up in hour number two of the Mike Rutherford Show right here on 1450 The Big X. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go away? This song creeps me out. Trevor loves it. It creeps me out every time. <laughs> I, I don't dislike it, but it creeps me out a little bit. In in this day and time, it's not politically correct. You can't say, hey, little girl. Hey, little girl, is your daddy, daddy home? Especially when he sounds like he's like 45. You know, <laughs> it's not like a teeny bopper song where it's like, hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Like, it sounds like a grown man asking if a, a little girl is a home because his, his, her dad's gone. It's And then he says he's on fire. 
He's got a bad desire, Gary. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't like it. There's no part of it that sits well with me anymore. I, I don't get me wrong. Like like oh, I'm on fire. I like singing it. I like mm-hmm. singing it. I don't like what precedes it. Is all I can say. But Trevor does. It, you know, Trevor. But don't say anything about Bruce Springsteen around a Bruce Springsteen fan. Oh Ooh. my God. Basically any sports media person besides me. Yeah. They're obsessed. <laughs> is that right? Ev- all of them. Oh my God. If you, like my entire timeline, because I follow, understandably, a lot of sports journalists on Twitter. And anytime there's a Bruce Springsteen news, you would think, you know, the, the Queen Elizabeth's dead. You would think that, like, you know, the president's been shot because you can't find any other piece of news on your timeline. And you're like, oh, my God, the entire world must be talking about this. And you'll click on trending topics. Nobody else cares. I worked with a news director at one time who was would follow Bruce all around the country. He was TV news director, so he's making some pretty good coin at the time. But he always told me, he said, if you would only go to a Springsteen concert, you would be a convert just like me. And have you? Nope. <laughs> I went to a Bruce Springsteen concert and I went back to him. I said, well, you know, it was, it was a good show, but I, you know, I'm not going crazy over the guy. Live music can turn you into like a semi fan of just about anybody. You know, you get caught up in the environment. If I go to see any concert pretty much. Right. And I'm a, not like a staunch opponent of the brand of music. Right. I'm going to be like, okay, like I had fun. It was good. Like I, I appreciate that person more than I did going into it, but I'm not going to be like a gigantic fan if the music just doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. That's the way it is. The best, best concert, first concert I ever got tickets to, won them off the radio. And the first concert I went to, this was a long time ago, but it was a great show, was Chicago. Really? Yeah. At, I like that. At, I like at, Chicago. At, at Louisville Gardens. And um, I liked Chicago. Bought all their albums, but then in the 80s, uh, when they got all synthesizing on their music, I yeah. you know, anything after like Chicago, like after 84, I'm done. You're out. Yeah. yeah. But the, but the ar- earlier stuff, love it. Still do to this day. You're a Chicago hipster. I applaud oh, that for you. Yeah. I love it. Uh, here's my favorite fact from today. Uh, I love this. This comes from uh buddy, buddy, Greg Allman down there in Tampa Bay covers the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers used to cover USF athletics. And it's, I don't know, maybe it's a a shot at the lack of creativity from people of my generation or slightly older, but new Tampa Bay Bucks guard Shaq Mason signed today. His full name is Shaquille Olajuwon Mason and shouldn't be too hard for you to figure out who he's named after. His parents named him after Shaquille O'Neal for his first name and Hakeem Olajuwon for his second name. He's joining up on a Tampa Bay Bucks team that features a pass rusher named Shaq Barrett, whose full name is Shaquille Akeem Barrett, named after the exact same two players. His parents named him after Shaquille O'Neal. It's spelled differently. They didn't spell it like Shaq. And then Akeem, A-K-E-E-M, Barrett. It blows my mind like, like that you would have two, two kids named pretty much the same exact thing. One went with Olajuwon for the middle name. The other went with Akeem for the middle name. But they're named after the same two players. Same about age. They both wind up grow, growing up to be professional athletes, football players specifically, and they wind up being on the same team. That's absolutely mind-blowing, but I love it. It's a fantastic fact. Uh, the Thornton Sex Line is 502-414-1450. I'll get to some Sweet 16 facts, some notable um, tidbits about not just tonight's games, but tomorrow's as well. But I want to get to as many of these texts as we can because you guys... We're talking about some interesting things. I was bringing up to Kentucky fans 
because I do know that just based on the text line and based on talking to people out there in public, seeing people tweet me on Twitter, some Kentucky fans do listen to the show. And a lot of times, like you guys are, are good sports. You put up with the, the it, I was going to say good nature, but it's, it's rivalry ribbing. It happens on both sides. You have to be able to, if you're going to give it out, you got to take it. And most of you guys take it the right way. But I also like being able to go back and forth seriously because you guys have perspective on things that I don't have. I'm not a Kentucky fan. I don't follow the ins and outs as closely as you guys do. And I don't have as strong a pulse on the fan base as you guys do. So I, I was asking with the Dante Allen thing, like how upset are UK fans about this? We had a, a guy text in for KRC talking about how upset he was with Dante Allen leaving. Never got a fair shake. Cal should have played him more. And that's been a back and forth thing between Calipari and the fan base really since Allen got on campus the last three years. So I text, I asked, Hey, text in guys, let me know. Like, are you all genuinely upset about this or do you not care? And one guy texted in right away. was like, Dante Allen would be the sixth man at Bellarmine. The texture says, I've been wanting Cal gone since losing to K-State. I hope Allen comes to Louisville and puts up 30 on us. A, a couple other people did text in earlier in the show as, asking if Dante Allen is a legitimate option for Louisville as a transfer. No idea. My hunch is no. I know there would be a relationship between he and Kenny Payne. I guess I, you know, Payne was around when he was being recruited. But I still would think no. But I can't say that definitively. I don't know. Texas says, I've seen some Louisville people, and in parentheses he says Nick Coffey, posting on Twitter about Allen coming to UofL. It makes zero sense to me. It would be, I mean, like the guy pointed out last week when we were talking about roster construction, Louisville, regardless of who they keep, They've got a solid amount of wings, assuming they bring at least one back and they're getting one in this recruiting class right now already. I don't know where Dante Allen would fit in. He kind of fits the profile of a guy that we've had the last couple of years where, well, hell, I, I say he's built as a shooter. He'd probably get here and shoot 25% from three because that's that's the current trend. But he's labeled as a shooter who struggles defensively. We've had too many guys like that in, in recent years. I'm ready, and I've... I said this before we even officially let Chris Mack go. Whoever the next head coach is at Louisville, I know everybody wants faster tempo. I know everybody wants better shooters. I know the offense has been anemic the last two years, and it's driven everybody crazy. I get all that. The main thing that I want from this next era of Louisville basketball, I want to go back to being an elite defensive team. And we were good defensively the first couple of years. Good enough. We were not elite. We weren't where we were with Rick Pitino at the helm, which was top 10 adjusted defensive efficiency every year. Because if you're a if you're an elite defensive team in college basketball, you can beat anybody. It helps to be a great offensive team too, obviously. The old cliche about defense wins championships. Can we all agree now, after doing this for however many years, offense and defense win championships. But when you play elite defense in this day and age, you got a chance to beat anybody. When you play elite offense, you can still get beat. We saw, we've saw we seen that firsthand in the NCAA tournament by really good offensive teams in recent years. Iowa was a elite offensive team last year, blown out when they got a bad matchup against Oregon. If you're an elite defensive team, there are no bad matchups for you. There may be teams that you struggle to score more against, but you're still always going to be within striking distance, and all it takes is having an above-average shooting night to beat a really good team if you're playing your typical defense and holding them to 65 points or less. And we haven't been elite. And there's been a sense, remember how you used to feel when Crum was the coach here or when Bettina was the coach here and you were down by 12 in the second half, you still felt like you had a shot. 
you still felt like you were one run away from not just being back in the game, but from taking control of the game. We haven't felt that way the last four years, even with the good teams, even with the first two years. I felt playing the style that Mac played and not being good enough defensively where you felt like whenever we need a stop, we're going to get a stop. If you were down 12 in the second half, I felt like the, I've, I've been feeling like the game's been over for the last four years. I'm ready for the old feeling to come back where you know, hey, they may be hitting every. Remember, we used to play those old Providence teams. Keno Davis was the coach there. They'd run up and down. They had all this offensive talent. And I remember like 2009, 2010, 2011, that era, they always seemed to get out of, in front of us like 22 to 9. And I'd, I'd be watching with friends. I'd be watching with, with Mary, and she'd be freaking out, saying, oh, God, we're, we're going to lose this terrible team. They're one of the worst teams in the Big East. And you just want, you looked at everybody and you said, just hang on. Just wait. Because you knew what was going to happen. We were going to be in better shape. The crazy shots that they were making against our good defense were going to stop falling. And we were going to keep scoring at the pace we were scoring. We were going to remain slow and steady. They were going to taper off. And we were going to win going away. And it happened like that every single time. We'd take the lead before half, erase a double-digit deficit, be ahead by two, three, four, five points at halftime, and then we'd win going away. And there were a lot of teams like that. That's what I want from this new era. Not just, I mean, winning games is a simple request. We all want that. But in order to make that happen, we want to be in better shape than everybody else, and we want to be better defensively than just about everybody else. That's what I want to get back to. Texter says, you know the UK fan. I appreciate it. Dante isn't good, but neither is anyone on a 9-16 team. He deserved more than what he got. I can get down with that. I, I, I can see where that's... I do think that, again, watching from afar, not watching as closely and following this as closely as you guys did, it certainly seemed to me that if Calipari wasn't hearing it so much from the fan base and everybody else around him that he has to play this kid, then Allen would have gotten more of a shot. He would have gotten more run. It definitely felt like a, a pride thing. I see this guy every day in practice. And Patino used to do this too sometimes. I see this guy in every day in practice. I know what he's capable of more than you guys do. You just see him come out and hit four or five threes. And you think, why aren't we playing him more? I see how bad he is defensively. I see how he can't pass. I see that he's more of a streaky shooter than he's letting on. So I'm not just not going to play him. When every time that he actually did get on the, on the floor in a meaningful game, he seemed to produce, at least at first. And like, I, I think if there wasn't that push, if there wasn't that pressure, if there wasn't, if Cal wasn't annoyed by the entire thing, then he probably would have played Dante Allen more. And that's, hey, you take the good, you take the bad with everybody. And you just hope that the good outweighs the bad so much that you can barely recognize the bad. That's some of the bad with Calipari. It was some of the bad with Patino too. They're always going to be prideful. And sometimes every now and then that pride is going to bite them a little bit. Texas says, I used to not be a fan, but now I like the boss. He's like a more modern Bob Dylan. I understand the statement makes me sound old, LOL. It does, but we're all old. This is the, it's the show now. Like this is, we've become old man radio. Well, Trevor, Trevor was born 75. Tre Trevor's a mixture of a 13-year-old boy and a 75-year-old man. He's never going to be his actual age. He's, you know, he's never going to sound like an early 40s person. He's, every take that he has is either the most immature I'm a 12-year-old take, or I'm old as hell, and I hate these new kids, and I don't understand them. There's never anything that's actually in his wheelhouse, like things that normal 41-year-olds say, which I love about him. He's an enigma. He's impossible to figure out. But we love having the old man takes, so we applaud that text. 
Text that, are you sure he's not named after Akeem from Coming to America? That would be an amazing twist to an already amazing story. It would be. Or Akeem the wrestler. Uh, but no, apparently both uh, both parents on both sides of that factoid said they're named after Shaquille O'Neal and they're named after Akeem Olajuwon. Just a, a absolutely bonkers fact. I love it. I love stuff like that. Text says, oh boy, I need ample time to prep for media homer of all homers for UK to come on this hour. Uh, he'll have the text line flooded with KRC text the rest of the day. I'm assuming he's talking about Kyle Tucker. <laughs> I can't wait to... I, I like Kyle. And I'm excited. He wrote a... Regardless of how you feel about him, and we're not going to talk Kentucky. I'm bringing him on because he's written some great things about Kenny Payne over the years, and he can provide insight that I can't provide and that I think not many people can provide. But I really wanted to bring him on because Sweet 16 starting the night, I think maybe the most interesting story outside of Coach K. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, if you've seen this. Uh, this is his last year. So whenever Duke loses, it's his last game. But outside of that, the biggest storyline is probably St. Peter's. Shocking Kentucky, beating Murray State, becoming the third 15 seed to crash the second weekend, now trying to become the first 15 seed to ever play in a regional final. And they're more interesting than some of the 15 seeds in years past that have you know, won games or won at least one game because I think that they have a guy that the rest of the basketball world looks at as a future star in the coaching world. Now, Andy Enfield did parlay that success at Florida Gulf Coast into a job at USC where he's done, I think, well. He's made USC a perennial top 25 program. They're always in the NCAA tournament. They made the Elite Eight last year. But Shaheen Holloway is a guy that I think people look at and say, 10 years from now, he could be one of the 15 biggest names in all of coaching. If he goes to Seton Hall and kills it there, does even more than Kevin Willard was able to do, gets them into the second weekend, maybe makes a run at a Final Four, maybe makes them a top two, top three team in the Big East every single season. Maybe he moves on. Maybe he takes an even bigger job. Or maybe he stays at Seton Hall and says, this is my alma mater. I'm going to make this job my own. I'm going to turn this program into a national powerhouse. But I think he is, he's the reason why, well, and that and the fact that their name is the Peacocks. But he's the biggest reason why they're so, so interesting. So engaged, such an engaging figure. And Kyle wrote a really, really good feature on him today that I want to talk to him about. Uh, Texas says, Preston, pestering people on defense was so much fun. You're damn right. We haven't had, and it's not the player's fault necessarily, because here comes the dreaded word. Brace yourself. Don't let the goosebumps come up. The pack line doesn't allow players to play the same style that we were used to seeing under Patino and under Crum. You don't have the heavy ball pressure. You don't have guys in your face with every dribble. You don't. We're not forcing a ton of turnovers. And for a while there, like the defensive energy was almost more fun than the offensive energy in large part because the defensive energy typically turned into defense in, into offensive energy. Think about the famous run in the national title game against Michigan. The, the run that we all talk about, the Luke Hancock four threes, the, the apex of that was when we get a steal with pressure around mid court. Peyton Steven knocks the ball away. Wayne Blackshear gets on the floor and picks it up. And we get the dunk on the other end. Siva throws the lob to Montrez Harrell. Place goes nuts. Andy Katz says he's been going to Final Four games his entire life. It's the loudest he's ever heard a building during a Final Four game. We take the lead. Momentum's firmly on our side. Never look back when the national title. That moment is spawned by the defense. If we were playing the style that we've been playing for the past four years, that moment never happens because we don't pressure the ball outside the three-point line. I want to get back to being a team. Teams have looked too comfortable against us when they've had the ball in their hands for the last four years. I want to go back to being a team that guards hate playing 
because they're going to be uncomfortable for 40 minutes. I'll never forget after the the Battle for Atlantis title game in 2012, the national championship season, Thanksgiving of 2012. We lose Gorgie the night before after we beat Missouri, so Gorgie can't play against Duke. And we still almost beat Duke without him. And if you remember the Elite Eight game where we, we beat Duke by 18, how instrumental Gorgie was in the success there. He just absolutely ate Mason Plumlee alive, destroyed him. They couldn't do anything with him. But we didn't have him in that game. We still almost won. And we won because Russ Smith and Peyton Siva were just dominating the Duke guards and made them uncomfortable for a full 40 minutes. And after the game, Coach K pulls Russ and Peyton aside, and Russ and Peyton look furious. They look pissed. They look like we're not losing another tournament game this year. We'll die to make sure that happens. <clears throat> Coach K pulls him aside and says, and you can see it on the camera, you guys are mother bleepers, which is, in basketball terms, the best compliment you can give an opposing player. I miss having MFers. I miss having guys that are going to make opposing guards nights hell from start to finish. Because we have, even when we've played good defensive games, even when we've played the pack line, the MAC line, whatever you want to call it, the way it's supposed to be played, guards are comfortable against us. They know they're not going to get pressured. They know they can get into the offense whenever they want to get into it. They know they can do it with minimal resistance. I don't think that you can win at the highest level playing that way, at least unless you're fantastic at it, pristine at it, like Virginia is. And even then, the margin for error is so thin that you need a crazy run of events to have March success. Virginia won a national title. You can't say that style doesn't have success in March, but you also have to acknowledge they were down with less than three seconds to go in their Elite Eight win, their Final Four win, and their national title win. It was as insane a run of success and a little bit of luck as you can possibly have. Texture says, in regards to the Allen news, I think this is better for everyone involved. You can say that Allen had too short of a leash in 2020-21 that season. Then this year, he didn't seem to take advantage of his opportunities. We can debate as to why Allen let the opportunities go to waste, but damn it, I'm going to root for that kid. We all should, unless he goes to a rival. Well, we'll see. Texture says, any updates on Mike Pegese and GW? If hired, do you think he adds offensive mastermind Ross McMains to his staff? I've got no idea if Ross McMains will come with Mike Pegues. My assumption is no. I would assume that if Mike Pegues gets the job at George Washington, uh, he's not going to to be bringing anybody from the Louisville staff with him. Here's the latest update on that front. And I don't think you're going to hear anything as far as the situation GW makes until Miami's knocked out of the NCAA tournament because, according to Jeff Ehrman, who covers sports in the state of Maryland, Pegues and longtime Miami, Florida assistant Chris Caputo are the frontrunners to land the job. Caputo's been at Miami for like 20 years. He was there before Laranega. He's a Miami lifer. He's kind of like Tommy Lloyd, uh, but in a much less successful program where he's been waiting to be head coach for a long time. The other, only other guy who I think may take this job is uh, Martin Inglesby, who's the Delaware Blue Hens coach. Uh, ironically, that's where Mike Pegues played his, his college basketball. But Pegues, if you're wondering you know, what connection would he have to the George Washington area, he played in the D.C. area. He coached high school in the D.C. area. He is from there. He can recruit there. He's known there. I think he's got a shot. The fact that they're kind of holding off to see you know, what Miami does to talk to Caputo kind of makes me think that he's the front runner for the job. We'll see. I mean, maybe Miami gets knocked out by Iowa State here in, in the next 48 hours. We see George Washington inter- interview Caputo, and they don't like what they hear, and Pegues gets the job. But he's there. And the fact that he's a 
he's a finalist for a job at a A10 program is, is not nothing. I mean, it says to me that he's going to have other shots. He'll be considered for other head coaching jobs. And if he doesn't get one of those, he'll probably be on a, a staff at a decent program. And that's all I want. I, I know that I know that the last few weeks of the season with Pegues on the sidelines calling the shots didn't go quite as well as we all were hoping it would go. I think there was a lot of hope after the way the team played initially against Duke and North Carolina. You know, maybe they can win four or five games. Maybe they can uh, win multiple games in the ACC tournament. I think knowing what we now know about all the stuff going on behind the scenes, it's easy to see why it didn't go the way it was planned. But I'll always be a Mike Pegues fan because I think he he handled things as best he could. He was open and honest with us when he spoke publicly every single time. And he held true to his beliefs. He said it's going to be about doing things the right way. He played the kids that were doing things the right way. He didn't necessarily play the guys who were his best players. He played, and Malik Williams, I know you can push back and say, well, he gave in to Malik. I also think playing Malik at the end of his his tenure was probably the right thing to do. Because Malik's Malik's Louisville career was not just his last season. It was a career that predated Pegues' arrival. And I think giving him the opportunity to go out the right way, even if he hadn't been doing the right things uh, a couple of weeks before, was probably for the best. And you saw how hard Malik played and how crushed he was when the team finally lost in Brooklyn. And that's, I think that's what I'm going to remember about Mike Pegues' time here as the interim head coach. I'll remember the Bahamas. That was great. But I'm also going to remember how well, how hard and how the team went down swinging in Brooklyn. Because as bad as things got in the couple of weeks before the postseason started, it was not hard to foresee a situation where that team went up there and nobody cared. The bench was never clapping. The team was actively rooting to lose behind the scenes. And we got beat by Georgia Tech by 15. And that didn't happen. They played, for 33 minutes at least, their best game of the season against Georgia Tech. And even when they weren't playing well, it was clear that it meant something to the guys on the floor and most of the guys on the bench. And for Pegues to be able to say, you know, at least we went down swinging, I think was something. And, and, I, and I'll be a fan of his. It was a terrible, terrible situation for him. He handled it the best he could. I hope he gets a head coaching job and I hope he kills it. Texture says, do the same thing that KSR guys do when they have L guys on. Get Tucker on and only talk negatively about his team. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I mean, I, I, I will ask him a couple of Calipari questions, but for the most part, we're going to focus on Kenny Payne. We're going to focus on St. Peter's. Texas says TK is eight going on 65. He is. He really is. Texas says Calipari was protecting BJ Boston's draft stock. That's why Allen didn't play. I know a lot of UK fans have said that, and it, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, BJ Boston was a guy who was probably going to be drafted regardless of how he played in his one year at Kentucky. And when it was obvious that he wasn't going to have the type of season that everybody wanted him to have, you try to protect him as much as you possibly can. And maybe there's something to that. Getting benched for a guy who wasn't seen as a future NBA prospect would have been a tough look for BJ Boston. And yeah, maybe Cal played him because he said, I made recruiting promises. I said, you're going to play this many minutes. I said, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make you a first round pick and I've got to make good on that. I, I I, I can buy that. I know some UK fans probably roll their eyes at it, but I, I absolutely can buy it. Uh, Texture says the women's team has that smothering defense, and that's why they are such a great team and so much fun to watch. You're damn right. They play defense the way, at least the sty- stylistically, the way I hope the men start playing it with Kenny Payne at the helm. All right, we're going to take a break. As promised, coming up after the break, Kyle Tucker from The Athletic will join us. He'll talk about his story today on St. Peter's. 
as well as insight he can provide on Kenny Payne. All that coming up after the break. It's the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. Trevor loves this song. The Mike Rutherford Show has played more better than Ezra in the last five months than any other radio station in America has for the last 15 years. I mean, he's played this song as an intro-outro song at least 75 times. Maybe he's waiting for the band to give him a gold record to hang on the wall. He's he's ready for it, man. We're, <laughs> we're pumping up better than Ezra every single day here on 1450 The Big X. Uh, joining us now, as promised, he covers Kentucky basketball for The Athletic. He's covered them in some way, shape, or form for the last decade. Uh, he is Kyle Tucker. Follow him uh, on Twitter, at Kyle Tucker underscore ATH. Kyle, how are you, man? Thanks so much for joining us. Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, a week ago uh, today exactly seven days ago, Kentucky getting ready to play St. Peter's. What would you have put the likelihood that you would be writing about the St. Peter's Peacocks a week later at? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I didn't, I didn't find out a single fact about that, that <laughs> team going into the game. I didn't, I didn't think about them. I did not uh, acknowledge them. I mean, I'm exactly, I'm, I'm exactly the person, like the type of person that they're, you know, out to quote unquote prove wrong because it, it, I mean I just didn't think it uh, possible that uh, one that they'd beat Kentucky and two that they'd turn around and uh, really from basically start to finish handle a really good Murray State team that people you know that that's the other thing people when the bracket came out there were a lot of uh, people sort of pushing the panic button about the Murray potential Murray State matchup for Kentucky. Like, what a nightmare it would be to finally play them for the first time in history and have them knock you out of the tournament. Uh, and that didn't happen because St. Peter's did it first. Um, yeah, just pretty unthinkable. And, and for them to win two games and be in the Sweet 16, also unthinkable. And, you know, I, I would be stunned if they somehow beat Purdue, but then I probably shouldn't be. Yeah, I, I brought you on because I, I read your, your story on St. Peter's and Shaheen Holloway today, and I thought it was fantastic. And, and I do want to pick your brain about Kenny Payne a little bit later. But looking back a, a week ago, I mean, I came on the show and said St. Peter's really has no business as a 15 seed. This is a 16 seed profile. Their offensive numbers are abysmal. They're only here because Rick Pitino got upset uh, in the, the quarterfinals of the MAAC tournament. And to me, they're the most unlikely 15-seed winner, at least of this recent crop that's come out, just because the offensive numbers were so bad. And because, like you said, they were facing such a strong Murray State team in the second round. And to be where they are, I mean, Oral Roberts last year had the, the nation's leading scorer and a great player in Kevin O'Banner, who's back in the Sweet 16. Florida Gulf Coast, a lot of people thought was underseeded. St. Peter's, nobody was talking about. After you talk to Sheen Holloway, does it provide a little bit more uh, light on how they're here and why the, we're talking about them a week into the NCAA tournament? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and talking to people about Shaheen Holloway, I mean, he was a terrific player at Seton Hall. You know, he was, he's always been sort of, uh, you know, not an underdog because he was a McDonald's All-American, but he's a, you know, five foot nine point guard. And, um, you know, the little guy's always got to kind of prove himself a little bit. And he's, I think because of that, always had that mentality. He's a kid from Queens and who um, has kind of earned everything he got. And, it's really clear, and this happens sometimes. Like it's really, well, I guess a lot of times, 
for better or worse, that a team takes on the personality of their coach. And this team has absolutely taken on Shaheen Holloway's personality. Um, you know, and it's a cool thing that he's done this with this group because it's almost a certainty that he's going to be the Seton Hall coach whenever the, the second he's, this season ends for St. Peter's, uh, go back and coach his alma mater. And um, Kevin Willard could not have been more uh, clear that he wants and thinks he should be that guy. I mean, Rick Pitino lobbied for Holloway last week to be the coach at his alma mater, UMass. Um, he's an unbelievable coach, X and O guy. I mean, quite frankly, he, he took John Calipari to school <laughs> in that game. Uh, he did the same thing against a really hot coach, um, McMahon, Matt McMahon at, uh, at um, Murray State, who's now been hired by LSU. Um, he's a really good basketball coach, but I think more than anything, it's just clear that that team took on this sort of just um, gritty, do-whatever-it-takes, I mean, he plays 10, 11 guys. I mean, legitimately plays them, you know, major minutes. Um, and they just kind of come at you in waves. None of them all that impressive, but all of them collectively just kind of wear you out. And uh, so, yeah, it makes a little more sense when you dig in a little bit. How blown away were you seeing that firsthand a week ago? Because, you know, I, I knew who Shaheen Holloway was as a player. I'd heard good things about him as a coach, but I'm not going to pretend like I was watching St. Peter's games on, on Friday night on ESPNU. <laughs> but, he, I mean, he made all the right moves down the stretch, going to zone, uh, running some backdoor stuff to, to take advantage of Kentucky overplaying their hand, creating open looks for Doug Eater, who's now a, a Buffalo Wild Wings sensation. I mean, how impressed were you firsthand just seeing the way that he was able to be so cool, calm, and collected? I mean, and, and do you think that this portends great things for him moving forward as he goes to, like you said, uh, in all likelihood, Seton Hall in a matter of probably days? Yeah, uh, maybe like 48 hours. Um, yeah. I, I think it does. And two, just like the, the juxtaposition of, of that and how he was and how his team was against Kentucky, uh, against how Kentucky was. And those guys were all completely tight, and you could see some panic and fear on their faces. And, and that included John Calipari. I was sitting right behind their bench. Everybody on that sideline was shell-shocked, and everybody on St. Peter's sideline was calm and, and cool. And now I will say, to be fair, like that's that's the that is the um, sort of balance of power or pressure or whatever you want to call it in a game like that. All the pressure is on the when it, when it's close and it stays close for a little while. All the pressure is on the two seed, not on the fifteen seed. You can play a lot looser and calmer. You can you can keep that demeanor a little more easily when like nobody was going to call for Shaheen Holloway's job if they didn't if they blew it and lost at the end against right. Kentucky. <laughs> you know, uh, everybody's calling for Cal's job now because. Not everybody, but the, the, <laughs> the unhinged masses, um, you know, after he lost to a, a 15 seed. Um, so I, I do want to point that out. That's to be fair. But, yeah, he was, he was totally under control, and they were totally not. Um, and I just I think the fact that, you know, he goes up against the Hall of Fame coach and pushes all the right buttons, and the Hall of Fame coach can't find any button to push, um, it was impressive. We're talking with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic here, and I do want to talk about Kenny Payne in a second, but since we're on the topic, and it's we've talked about it a little bit on this show, I'm sure it's been talked about ad nauseum on every Kentucky show for the past week, but, you know, Calipari, after the nine-win season last year, the storyline for most of this year has been, I think, praising him for adapting to the times, bouncing back from that horrid season, and getting the best out of his young talent, and then going out there with the new transfer rules and bringing some of the best players from other programs— and then as the tournament can do, 
all that's gone in the blink of an eye. You know, four months of, of great work vanishes with a, a bad two-hour performance. Where do you think he goes from here? Do you think he, he says, you know, this happens to everybody. Coach K lost to Lehigh. We're going to keep doing things the way we're doing. And if we're a two-seed again next year, we're going to be fine. Or does he go back to the old more one-and-done talent, more freshman talent? Where do you, what do you think the future holds from John Calipari for a roster construction standpoint? Yeah, that's going to be interesting, and I and I do think I think all the I think all the praise for what he did change and adapt to is was valid. Like he he did he did go and flip the script completely on how he's built uh, rosters in the past. Where you know this year they played a game against Kansas and only one freshman played, and it's the only time in 13 years under John Calipari that's happened. Um, and so you know, obviously they're only relying on one freshman. Something's different. When most of the guys on the roster are 21, 22, 23, even a 24-year-old, um, that was different. And I think it paid off for most of the year. They did have the injury disruption and all of the sort of roster roster disruption that I think led to, or at least was the, the catalyst for kind of some of the things that fell apart down the stretch. Uh, and I don't think it's just one performance that got people frustrated. That team just sort of kept declining and declining and they had the early exit from the sec tournament and, and you know even cal perry said later like i wish i had answers he said i thought maybe i was coaching a team that i thought i had that i didn't have anymore and i think there was some frustration that he couldn't figure out what to do when it was clear they weren't the same team that went and thumped kansas on the road and thumped uh tennessee at home and, and all those things um and so i think people are not so much frustrated with the roster construction now i don't think you can really argue with it um either he gets the best elite freshman and that works fine or he gets you know doesn't and he gets the transfers to fill in the spaces i think that works fine i think what people are frustrated about are the actual x and o issues that reared their head uh late in the season and especially in this game the fact that you know getting offense in the half court when when you absolutely got to have it you can't do it um and, and i think too because it was going well the fact that calipari kind of began to um sort of turning his nose up at, at critics about the style of play, you know, because it was going well, he felt okay to puff his chest out and say, kind of basically to go, oh, I thought you wanted to, Nate Oates here. I thought Alabama's, you know, <laughs> dunks and threes offense was the, all the rage, but, you know, I do it this way, and this is the best way. Well, and then it bites you in the in – the, You can say <laughs> sorry, it. You, you can say okay. it. We're, we're good. We say, we say way worse here. <laughs> okay. Bite you in the rear, uh, you know, when it matters the most, that's what people are frustrated with. And so I think now the question is, will he change that way? He, he did make some changes. He did go and uh, retool his coaching staff. He did go change the way he built a roster. But will he, can he take one more step? Can he, can he evolve in the actual coaching of the roster versus just the building of the roster remains to be seen. And, I, you know, I, I wouldn't count him out. I don't think he should be fired. I don't think he's like the game has completely passed John Calipari by. I just think there's some things are pretty clear that need to be addressed and dealt with. And if they aren't, then this thing's not going to come back for him. Kyle Tucker, the athletic, our guest here. Yeah, you're at home here, Kyle. This is big X. We use X for a reason. We're, we're you know, we're laid back here. We're the, the bad boys of local Excellent. Louisville radio. That's, that's how it goes. Love here. it. Uh, I did want to ask because it feels a little bit different than past off seasons where Kentucky season may have not ended the way that the fan base has wanted it to. And, and I agree with you, like the, the fans that are out there, fire cow, I think are in the minority and th they do seem a little bit crazy. 
But this is kind of building up now. It's not just about last season. It's not just about this season. It's about the fact that it's been now over a decade since Kentucky's won a national title, haven't been to a Final Four since 2015. And I think there's some fear that the window's closing, that this is kind of the, the downward slope. Do you think that feeling continues through the offseason, or will this be another offseason where Kentucky fans are upset at first for a few weeks, then the roster gets put together, and it goes back to, we're loaded, we're going to be fine, we're going to be great. I don't know. It feels a little bit different to me than it has been in years past with the relationship between Cal and the fan base. Yeah, no, I think I think there becomes a, a gradual wearing of the wearing over time on their uh, sort of hope, and that happened with Kentucky football. You know, like where you get the rug pulled out from under you for several years in a row. Sure. I mean, talk about the end of Joker Phillips and even the beginning of of Stoops, where he wins two games, and then the next, the, the second and third seasons, he gives them a dangles a little hope. They start five and one and four and two or whatever it was, five and two, and, and then flame out at the end and don't make a bowl game. And that, that gradual wearing it of faith, um, it shows up. People stop coming to games. People say, you know, talk to me when you've actually finished the job. You know, like, then I'll get excited again. And it took a while for Stoops to get the fans uh, back in. And I think there's been some wearing on the faith in Cal. And I do think that people, no matter what roster he puts together, unless somehow he pulls, you know, the number one, two, and three recruits in the country all suddenly say, we're coming next year. Um, you know, I just, I think people are going to be in, a lot of people are going to be in prove-it mode. I also think the timing couldn't have been worse. I mean, it, I mean, truly a horrific timeline for Calipari that the guy that, you know, there's, there's this question like, was Kenny Payne really what was making this work for him all those years? And then within the same 24-hour window of losing to a 15 seed, Louisville, your rival, hires Kenny Payne. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, he also has, like, deep connections to the number one recruit that's been a lock to come to you forever. And now this is the one and only human who could maybe change that. I, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of people are in cautious mode with Cal, and I don't think it matters what he does this offseason. They want to see what he does next season when the games start. I want to talk about Kenny Payne. You've written about him several times over the years. Obviously, know him very well, having covered UK for over a decade now. But before I get into the, the specifics about Kenny Payne, you brought up the magic name. Anytime you mention DJ Wagner on this show, we get flooded with like 50 texts. Everybody, both UK and UofL fans saying, let's break this down. Both sides feel confident. Some sides don't feel confident. I mean, this is going to be as big of a recruiting battle between these two programs, I think at least, as we've seen in a long, long time, how much of a real battle do you think this is going to be, or do you have any sense of where this young man yeah. is, is leaning? I would say it's the biggest, it, it is and will forever be probably the biggest recruiting battle in the history of the rivalry. I mean, the two schools that I would say are probably about 50-50, I would put it at a coin flip for both of them right now, on getting the number one player in America. <laughs> and, it, and, and also because of the fact that all, this, all the other storylines, like, that he, he was preordained to go to Kentucky. He was going to go to Kentucky unless, and this happened with James Wiseman, he was coming to Kentucky unless they hire Penny Hardaway as high school coach, and that gets pulled out from under them. You know, Cade Cunningham committed to Kentucky on his visit. <laughs> he just did. Like, I mean, I don't know if that will ever be admitted to. <laughs> he committed to Kentucky on his visit. But what are you going to do when they hire your brother at Oklahoma State? And so now you're in this situation again um, where the number one overall recruit who's been sort of on the line for you all this time could go somewhere else. And the fact that it could be done to you sort of like, it's like your, it's like your brother, <laughs> yeah. your brother comes along 
I mean, a few years ago, Mark Stoops was getting ready to hire Lincoln Riley as his offensive coordinator, and guess who stole him? Brother Bob uh, <laughs> at Oklahoma. And so, you know, that, that's, a, that's a brutal kind of sting. And so I think all those elements make it a, a very juicy storyline. I think this is great content for all of us for, you know, for the next however many months. And I think it, I really genuinely think it's probably a, a coin flip right now. It's juicy too because you know, obviously it, you you know what Cal has to lose, which is the, the fan base, the portion of them that's already a little bit upset with him, will say, "Well, now we're we're losing recruits to Louisville. Uh, maybe it was all Kenny Payne." But I think there's also a little bit for Kenny Payne to lose because you have a contingent of fans that has said, "You know, this is Louisville basketball. You're hiring a coach who's never been a head coach before. It's a big time gamble." Calipari recruiting a uh, coaching tree, not necessarily killing it at other places when they get head coaching jobs. We know he's going to get players, though. And DJ Wagner has been the one everybody's pointed to. And if you don't get DJ Wagner right off the bat, and it's business as usual with Kentucky getting whoever they want, I think there will be a contingent of Louisville fans that is like, well, what are we doing here if, if he wasn't going to bring players? Yeah. Um, how do you see—I mean, what is exactly the, the the relationship between Kenny Payne and DJ Wagner? I mean, how, how close are they? Well, I mean, the relationship, first of all, the relationship between Calipari and the, and the Wagner family is is a deep one mm-hmm. because, I mean, when you think about Calipari and the one-and-dones, like, that started with DJ Wagner. One of the reasons when Cal says, I'm never going to talk a guy who's a lottery pick into coming back, because it's because of what happened with DJ Wagner. He, he, he told DJ Wagner, I'm going to tear up your scholarship. You're not coming back. You need to go. And he did, and then he got sick, and then he got injured, and he had you know major, major illness and injury issues that basically robbed him of a pro career. But not before he got I think eight million dollars because he left, went ahead and left school, and that was an important lesson for Cal, and it was a thing that has lasted forever. I've talked to Milt Wagner about that and how important that was to that family, uh, that it changed their lives, and they felt like Cal looked out for them ahead of himself. I mean, how much better would Memphis have been the next year if DJ Wagner, I mean, if uh, Dewan Wagner had come back to school. Um, and so there's a, a major loyalty there. Not, not to mention John Calipari employed Milt Wagner, yeah. <laughs> you know, as part of the process of getting uh, Dewan there. Uh, DJ Wagner's uh, stepbrother is a walk-on on the Kentucky basketball team right now. Uh, uh, Lance Ware, who was, uh, a teammate of Wagner's is on the Kentucky roster right now. And so there, there's a very deep relationship there, but the, then you have Kenny Payne who has the only kind of relationships that could potentially combat that. And that is, he was teammates with Milt Wagner and friends, he's friends with uh, Milt Wagner. And he's, he's deeply connected to that entire Camden, New Jersey group. And let's, you know, be real here. That includes World Wide West, <laughs> you know, who is a, power broker who makes things move in the basketball world like that that group of people and then Purvis Ellison one of Kenny's best friends coaches DJ Wagner's AAU team like those are the only kind of connections that can compete with the deep I think really familial type of relationship that Cal Perry has with the Wagners you heard a great thing about the uh, on the athletic I think it was in 2018 about Kenny Payne and uh, you know how much everybody who has who's come to play for him Anthony Davis I know you quoted Julius Randle just how highly everybody speaks of him and it goes beyond players that he's coached I I feel like the one thing that you feel really really good about as a Louisville fan and getting Kenny Payne or one of the things that you feel really good about is just how glowingly everyone seems to speak about him as a pure human being has that been your experience with Kenny Payne it seems like nobody has a bad word to say about this guy at least from a personality standpoint 
I mean, people love Kenny. Everybody loves Kenny. They all talk about him like a relative. The players will either call him like a dad or an uncle. A lot of them call him unk. I mean, listen, that was the thing I'd always wanted. I'm so glad I wrote that because, like, in retrospect, everything that kind of happened after it, it was the year before he left, the summer before he left Kentucky for the Knicks. You know, you always heard this about, like, Kenny. Like, he's, like, the backbone of the program. And what does he mean to the program? And so I, I spent that summer talking to basically every former Kentucky player he had recruited or developed that was in the NBA and went out to summer league and talked to Anthony Davis and Carl Towns and all those people and, and then parents and their families. And it's just everybody, everybody says that about Kenny Payne, that he's as good a human being as they've encountered. And they feel like he's honest with them and straight up with them. He doesn't always just tell them what they want to hear. Um, and he's, he's got this sort of relentless work ethic too, that I think the players really always respected that they could text, you know, this 50-something-year-old man with a family at 11 p.m., hey, I want to work out, and he'd meet him at the gym and, and stay there with him for two hours and work out. He, he even put me through part of one of his workouts. They're, they're brutal. Um, and so, you know, I, I just think there's, yeah, beyond, beyond anything else, like everyone that encounters and deals with Kenny comes away sort of feeling like, uh, like he's family to them. And so I think that, that bodes well, at least, for, at least for the chemistry aspect of a team, I think for the sort of the bond uh, of a team. I think, too, if you're, if you're Louisville and it, and it has cratered as bad as it has and, like, you know, just all the issues, all the turmoil, all the kind of crap. Like, I mm-hmm. think Kenny is like, is like a, you know, mouthwash for that. Like, he rinses all that out and it just resets the vibe of your program. And, you know, I think that's a good start by itself. We'll let you get out here on this. Like, that's the known commodity aspect of Kenny Payne. What's not known is – you know, the X is a no stuff. What's his philosophy going to be? How's he going to be as an in-game coach? You've gotten to see him at least a couple of times uh, be an in-game coach when John Calipari's gotten thrown out of games or for whatever reason. I'm sure you've talked to him about basketball philosophy a little bit. Do you think he takes you know some from Cal and then some from himself? How do you think this works from Kenny Payne as far as an X's and O's in-game coach stylistically? Yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see that. Really, I don't. I don't think I have a real great handle on what kind of coach he'll be. I do think he'll be to some extent. I mean, you've heard him, you've already heard him, I think, utter some of the kind of callisms about, uh, you know, coach not being in trying to control everything and just, you know, recruiting good players and giving them some freedom and, and some of that stuff, which can sometimes feel like just roll the balls out, you know, like you can, can be heard that way when you, when you hear it. I think it frustrates Kentucky fans sometimes that it'll go like Cal doesn't run any real plays and it's like well that's not that's that's not true either I mean they're not just they're not exactly just out there uh, running around in circles till somebody gets a shot off but um, you know I'm interested like what is he how does he assemble this staff who what kind of people does he put on and he's obviously going to put some recruiters on it but you know does he do does he go the get his own Phil Martelli the way that Jawan Howard has like does he um, you know, what is, what does he consider his strength? Uh, and, and, you know, is it offense? Is it defense? If the, is, you know, the other side of the ball, do you go get a, a coordinator type coach, which is one of the things I think Cal should do. Like if <laughs> Cal needs to, to address, uh, offense, he's a great defensive coach. Uh, he ought to go get an offensive coordinator for, you know, all intents and purposes. And, you know, a guy like Kenny Payne, a first time head coach, um, you know, depending on his comfort level, in that situation, I think that's not a bad idea either. So I think a lot of it's going to depend, and we'll get a better sense for it uh, when the whole staff is shaken out. You know, how how's he going to approach this? Is he going to get one of his three full-time assistants that's a veteran kind of coaching X and O guy, or is he going to bring in like Cal has 
Bruiser Flint, who is now whatever special assistant to the head coach. You could do that as well with your staff. Um, who he hires to me will will tell us a lot, I think, about philosophy. If Callie is in the market for a quote-unquote offensive coordinator, uh, one piece of advice, I would steer clear of New Zealand. That would be the only thing that I would say. is uh, you know, <laughs> there, there are several great offensive minds here in the States. Maybe just stay away from the New Zealand brand. That's uh, We found that out firsthand. Uh, he's Kyle Tucker. Kyle, are you going to be writing about, uh, I assume, the NCAA tournament moving forward in addition to your Kentucky work on The Athletic? I think I'm mostly done. I'm doing some live blog stuff on the tournament this weekend, but I think I think I'm mostly bowing out now. Now that I've exhausted all my St. Peter's stories, <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll be diving into to the the uh, chaos that is the Kentucky basketball offseason here for the rest of the way. All right, follow all his good stuff on Twitter at Kyle Tucker underscore ATH, and you can read him at the Athletic. Kyle, appreciate the time, man. Thank you. All right, good stuff from Kyle Tucker there. A lot of insight on uh, not just the the Kenny Payne at Louisville situation, but the DJ Wagner recruitment, as well as what's going on at Kentucky. Um, I love Kyle. I, I know he's, uh, he's sort of, you know, some Louisville fans don't like him. Some Kentucky fans on the text line don't like him. I think he does a great job. He's got fantastic hair. And most importantly, he makes fun of Jeff Greer, which is uh, with me, which is all I can really ask for from a uh, media personality. we got one more hour coming up next. At 510, Brett Dawson from the Courier-Journal will join us to talk about UofL men's basketball, and then we'll look ahead to tonight's Sweet 16 games as well. If you want to text us, 502-414-1450 is the number. We'll be right back after this here on 1450 The Big X. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. Hour number three, Mike Rutherford Show here, Thursday, March 24th. You can tell Trevor just mailed it in today because these are all TK faves. These are all TK classics. And you know he mailed it in because he's not texting into the show today. So you know he's not listening either. God knows what he's doing. Uh, but Trevor Kelsey not here today. Big thanks to Kyle Tucker for hopping on last hour and Cameron Teague Robinson for hopping on in the first hour. Kyle, I thought, was some really, really good insight there on a lot of things. Uh, we're going to have Brett Dawson on at about 5:10, the U of L beat writer for men's basketball for the Courier Journal, to give some updates on the men's basketball front. I know everybody's talking about roster construction. Everybody wants to know what the staff's going to look like, and we'll see if Brett's heard anything there. But I thought the most interesting thing that Kyle talked about, and it's interesting because it was a topic early in the show and it just kind of came up organically. And my guess is it's going to come up organically on pretty much every show between now and whenever this young man makes his decision. But the DJ Wagner stuff is for anybody who thinks that the Louisville-Kentucky rivalry might taper off with two friends at the helms of the respective programs, I think this is going to just show everybody that it may be friendly when they're shaking hands or when they're having conversations off the court, but it's going to be as competitive as, as it's ever been, both in recruiting and when the two teams face each other every December. Because, like Kyle said, this is probably going to be the most high-profile battle these two schools have ever engaged in on the recruiting front. I'm not going to pretend to know what the recruiting wars in the 70s and the 80s were like, but recently, and 
this is with Rick Pitino at the helm at Louisville. This is Hall of Famer versus Hall of Famer. Rick Pitino versus John Calipari. Both guys killing it at their respective programs. Whenever there was a quote-unquote battle between UK and Louisville, I think both sides kind of knew how it was going to go. And I think that was, if it wasn't apparent before Marcus Teague, it certainly was apparent after Marcus Teague. A lot of the guys that went to Kentucky early on in John Calipari's tenure there were guys that Louisville recruited early. Anthony Davis, I think Louisville was the very first major program to offer him a scholarship. Louisville was ahead of the, cur- the curve there. They saw the kid grow. You know, He grew 10 inches or whatever it was in high school and had a center's body and a point guard skill set. Louisville jumped in on that very early on. But when Kentucky came calling, that was it. And Marcus Teague, Patino recruited him constantly for about four years. Put one of his AAU coaches on staff briefly. And then when he committed to UK, that guy was gone. But when Teague went to Kentucky, I think that was when Patino threw up his hands and sort of said, if UK's involved, if it's a player that I think UK might get involved with, we're out. Now, there was some talk that UK was, was after Shane Bahan, and there was some talk that UK was you know, going after some other guys, but it was never like this. It was never a guy like DJ Wagner, number one player in his class, a guy that every Blue Blood program, every major program is going to go after, and that you know Kentucky's going after, and that you know Louisville's going after. And I think it's interesting because there are very obvious, very clear reasons why he would side with either Kentucky or Louisville. And I thought Kyle did a very good job of, of laying those out. With Louisville, there's no question that Kenny Payne has a relationship uh, with that entire family. His best friend is DJ Wagner's AAU coach, Purvis Ellison, who won a national, was a number one draft pick at Louisville, won a national title at Louisville. I think with Kentucky, and, and also, I mean, there's a strong chance that Milt Wagner is going to be on Louisville staff. Milt Wagner being on Memphis's staff was the biggest reason why John Calipari was able to land his son, Dewan Wagner, DJ's dad. Maybe history repeats itself in a different form. Maybe we right the wrong of 20 years ago by bringing Milt on staff and getting DJ. But the flip side of that is exactly the story that, that, that Kyle laid out, which is the relationship between John Calipari and the Wagner family, specifically Dewan, is not the normal ex-coach, ex-player relationship. If you watch the 30 for 30 on Cal that was was on a few years ago, you know all about this. Cal's philosophy changed with Dewan Wagner. He brought him in as this, he was the number one player in America, clear one and done. Didn't have as strong a season at Memphis as probably a lot of people thought. And still, Cal forced him out. Cal said, and, and you can roll your eyes at how the story was laid out there and, and maybe some liberties were taken, but Cal, you know, ripped up his scholarship and said, you're not coming back. You're going to the NBA. That's that. I don't care how good we're going to be with you. You got to go. Dewan Wagner goes pro signs a professional contract makes $8 million very quickly in his professional career gets injured, gets sick, can't play professional basketball anymore. And if he had stayed at Memphis, that one extra year doesn't make that $8 million doesn't have the money that he has now. And Calipari said, from that point forward, I saw the risk in coming back to school and leaving millions of dollars on the table. And I'll never try to convince a kid to come back who doesn't want to come back or who I don't think needs to come back, at least from a financial standpoint. And Dewan's dad, Milt, has spoke glowingly about Cal for that reason. 
Dewan is, is is clearly indebted to him for that reason. And so I say all that to say, at the end of the day, it may not matter what Kenny Payne's relationship with the Wagner family is. It may not matter if he brings Milt on staff in some form. It may not matter how well he knows DJ and how much he's going to emphasize DJ if he comes here. The What Cal did for DJ's dad may be enough to make DJ go to UK. And there are other reasons, obviously, too. But it's going to be a fascinating back and forth for a long, long time, or at least however long DJ Wagner wants this to be. And we're probably going to talk about it every damn day. Um, is Brett on the line here? Talking about this more, uh, at least a little bit, is Brett Dawson, who's the UFL beat writer for the men's basketball team over at the Courier Journal, back on the show, I think, for a, uh, a third time. You know, we don't do a whole lot of guests here. So Brett being on here three times is just a testament to how great he is and how much we enjoy him. Brett, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. Do I get a plaque or something? Is there something coming my way? It's a robe. Uh, we'll, we'll send it your way. It just says it, it says better. it says Big X on it. So it's you know it's kind of uh, there's there's a little double entendre there, and you'll impress everybody when you wear it. So that's good. Third Third Timers Club. <laughs> Three. Fantastic. Like those those fifth time uh, SNL hosts. Exactly. Like that kind of thing. You don't want to know what we do for five time guests though. Maybe you'll find out <laughs> one day. We'll, uh, we'll 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 cross that bridge when we get there. But Brett, uh, we are fully in the. Post-coaching search madness, you know, you get that. I love how everybody just catches their breath for 24 hours pretty much when you hire a new coach, and then it becomes roster, staff, philosophy, where is he now, what's going on, all that good stuff. Uh, have you been able to catch your breath at all since Kenny Payne has officially been named the new Louisville men's basketball head coach? Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's still a lot of, you know, working the phones because you're working on some some feature-type stuff and uh, some look-ahead stuff. You know, the other day they did the – um I mean, like, well, we could call it what it was. It was like kind of a staged event where Kenny walked around campus a little bit, yeah. and, and um, they invited us, some of us to go. And I, by the way, love it. I'm not knocking it at all. I'm, I'm really glad they did it. I thought it was a cool thing. But I was talking to Josh Hurd as we were just kind of hanging out in between stops there, and I said, you know, God, you must be so relieved to have this over. And he said, yeah, sure. You know, like, it's a relief because the coaching search is over. But when you really think about building this thing and trying to get a program where you want it to be, the hiring of a coach is the start. It's not really the end of anything. And so there is a lot to do. And obviously that stuff's going to happen in the coming weeks. And, and you know, I kind of thought maybe we'd have a little bit more happening now, but it'll it'll happen. I, just because I, I, we were talking about it before you came on and because uh, Kyle Tucker was talking about it and everybody wants to talk about it, the, the DJ Wagner stuff I know is going to be just such a fascinating saga because I think both sides – have so much to gain. And I think both sides have so much to lose. I, I think Calipari probably more to lose than Kenny Payne does, but there's still an element of, you know, Louisville hired this guy because he's going to get players. We don't know what type of head coach he's going to be, but the promise was you're going to bring in top talent. DJ Wagner's a name that everybody knows and everybody knows the relationship that Payne has with DJ and that family. I mean, do you have any sense, both Kyle and I were kind of like, I think it's 50-50, but I don't really know. I mean, do you have any sort of sense that as far as, if there's a lean one way or the other or where we stand right now. No, and let, let me mess it up for you a little bit more because everybody I've yes. talked to about this says, don't, don't rule out Villanova. You know, oh. right there. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a powerhouse that is right in his backyard. It's right down the road. And like who, who's had better success with guards, you know, who's, who's a more ideal spot for you. And n nobody has said this to me, but like, I just was thinking about it the other day after somebody said, Hey, like, don't take them off the table. Really think about them. Boy, if you're that kid and you don't want to disappoint anybody, you know, <laughs> on either side of this, what, what a way to split the difference, right? You just uh, go off to Villanova. But I, I don't know, and I, I did ask Milt Wagner, and, and he said, you know, I don't know nothing about that and kind of laughed about it. 
Um, and I, it's obviously it's too early, but I, I think you're right in the sense that there are higher stakes for Calipari, but not no stakes for Kenny. Because if you get him, it's an enormous bonus, right? This is a guy who, who I think has almost felt preordained to be a Calipari guy. And if you go in and steal that guy and you, you sort of uh, write what a lot of people would consider the wrong of, uh, of Dewan not coming to Louisville um, and, and Milt being associated with Cal and Memphis during all that time. I think, you know, there are a lot of people who would feel like that's, it's such a win. Um, and, and so in that sense, it's great because it, it's, a, it's a great win if you get it. And if you don't, a lot of people are going to think, well, you know, Calipari had such a huge head start here. And so how can you be expected to close that gap? But you're right, I think, in the sense that if, if your concern with Kenny is, you know, we don't know what he's going to be as a, as a strategist, as an in-game coach, as an adjuster, but we know he's going to get players, and then he doesn't get the first player who is, you know, like, like this player who is a massive story. It's a massive Kentucky-Louisville story, and if you lose that guy, there certainly will be some people who say, well, we're just going to continue on losing players we want to, you know, Kentucky or other places. So it, it is not a no-stakes game for Kenny, certainly. As a chaos enthusiast, there's now a part of me that, uh, you know, if the young man doesn't pick Louisville, kind of wants to see him just be like, I'm going to LaSalle. Let's do this. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's go Explorers. We're, we're going to make a, this year in the A-10 a fantastic one. I think that would be uh, hilarious. How about St. Peter's? Why not? You know, right Be, become a peacock. Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, we were talking with with Kyle a little bit about that, and I'll ask you. I mean, as somebody who covered UK for a, a period of time before you started covering the NBA, and now Louisville, Cal doesn't lose games like that. I mean, they they yeah. have never been sort of a victim of that double digit seed in the first round type loss. He had never lost a first round game period since coming to UK. And I asked Kyle, and I'll ask you. I feel like the the relationship between him. And the portion of the fan base that is upset, it feels different now than it has after previous NCAA tournament exits that the fan base was unhappy about. I feel like on top, on the heels of last season and having now not gone to a, a Final Four since 2015, not won a national title since 2012, I think that they're, like, the groans are getting louder and louder and louder. Do you think Cal changes anything philosophically or he just says, hey— we're going to get back there and we're going to be a two that doesn't lose to a 15 next round. This, this sort of thing just happens in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I think the interesting thing about that is that Cal is not, I mean, I shouldn't say Cal is not somebody who embraces change because they've changed quite a bit over the course of time. And they've had teams where, you know, when they were getting the, the kind of what Cal would call the best of the best, you know, when they were getting the, the, their, their pick in recruiting essentially, um, one of the things they would do is really adapt their style of play almost every year. And so, like, you know, I was talking to um, Kyle Mann from The Ringer last week about that 2011 Kentucky team that was really fun to watch. They were sort of forced into that because Ennis Cantor wasn't there when they expected him to be, and so they didn't have the kind of low-post guy Cal likes to have. And, you know, Brandon Knight was this good, like, kind of dribble handoff point guard, which they hadn't had before, and so they were running really different stuff, and it was fun. And I do think that they've been adaptable in those ways, but you know, I'm, I'm going to just go out on a limb and guess that Kyle talked about this. I don't know, but like he also has this sort of thing where he talks about like, there's lots of ways to do this. And, and I know a lot of people want to do it other ways. And he just brings it up when they beat Nate Oates, you know, this idea of like they beat Alabama and I know you want to play this Nate Oates way, but I don't want to, um, that, that seems a little stuck in the mud. And, you know, I, I think that that's, that's telling, um, that he talks a lot about not being a guy who wants to shoot 33s and all that kind of stuff. And so I don't know. I don't know how adaptable he's going to be. It's a real intriguing 
aspect of their offseason, I think. So with Brett Dawson, you've a men's basketball beat writer for the Courier Journal. Brett, now this, the big speculation on the Louisville front outside of just recruiting is the current roster, who's going to come back, who's not going to come back. We've heard both L. Ellis and Dre Davis uh, talk about liking what they heard from Kenny Payne in their initial conversation, but also uh, not really fully committing to coming back, saying they still have a decision to make. When do you think we start hearing these these dominoes falling as far as guys that are in the portal or coming back or going pro or what have you? Yeah, it's a good question. Jalen Withers also talked on uh, Friday when they named Kenny, and I was intrigued by what Jalen said, which, you know, everything he said was like, I'd love to be back. It's great. And then I said, you know, like, you don't know anything about how he's going to play yet because you haven't really seen him as a head coach, and he didn't really talk to those guys about that. And Jalen said, oh, yeah, like, that's essential. Like, we'll have those conversations. I have to know that stuff. And Dre Davis said the same thing. Like, you've got to know how you're going to be used. Um, You know, how are you going to play offensively and defensively? How does that play to my strengths or not? And, you know, the thing that Jalen Withers said about that that I think is probably true, I don't want to put words in the other two guys' mouths, but, you know, what Jalen said was, he's busy now. This is a new thing, and there's going to be a lot going on. So we'll have those conversations, and I'm not in a rush, but we're going to have to have those conversations. And so I do. I am not surprised that is taking some time, and I think it will take some time because you had, you know, as everybody knows, I think by now, like L. Ellis talked about this, they had a lot of guys on spring break who didn't get back for the announcement, and so Kenny didn't even meet with a lot of those guys that first day. Only met with those three guys. So. I think those meetings will be taking place over the course of some time, and they have to have those conversations. And then you have to decide, you know, like, like L. Ellis was really practical about talking about whether he might put his name in the portal um, and, and just kind of having some conversations before he decided whether he even needed to do that. And so, you know, I, I think all of these guys, you know, we, we are in an era, obviously, where, where you can transfer without penalty for most of these guys, and probably all, honestly, because the NCAA has gotten pretty loose with the waivers. Um, so I, I think that those, those kinds of things, they, they view this um, in a much more professional way in terms of saying, like, I've got to do what's best for me, and I've got to look at all my options because there are so many options now. And you've just got to think about offenses and where you might fit in. And, and until you have a better sense of Kenny and Louisville, I don't think you can make that decision. We've talked a lot about, I say we, Louisville fans have looked a lot at this 2023 class, specifically DJ Wagner, but 2022, all of a sudden you've got a lot of these top 50 kids decommitting from programs that have yeah. parted ways with their head coach and every Louisville fan, every time there's a kid that uh, is now available is like, Hey, he's an option. Let's go get him. Uh, yeah. I mean, Sky Clark's the big name that's out there. The UK decommit yeah. who you would assume could come in here and probably start at point for next season. How heavily do you think Kenny Payne tries to get in on some of these 2022 kids at the last second? Yeah, I, I think it's certainly going to be uh, a thing that they, that, I mean, they're, they're going to be surveying the whole field and the whole field means, you're going to look at the 2022 high school kids and you're going to look at transfers and probably you're going to look at junior colleges as well. But, but, you know, Kenny is his, his reputation is as a builder of relationships with, you know, young guys and their families. And so he is going to have to make up a lot of ground, but this is kind of what he does. And so I I would not be surprised uh, if, if he's involved with a number of these guys, how many of them he gets, I don't know. Sky Clark is, you know, um, during the, during the coaching search, I always said if I had to pick one guy, I'd pick Kenny Payne, but it, I, I don't have any insight that it's necessarily going to be Kenny Payne. If I had to pick one of these high school guys, I'd pick Sky Clark as the most likely, but I don't have any information that indicates that. It just seems logical on a lot of levels. So, But, yeah, I do think they'll be looking at, you know, the decommit list is growing, and obviously you've had the situation at LSU, and you've had change at Missouri, and there's just a lot of people who are looking around. And, 
you know, he, he's going to present an option, and the one thing we know he's going to present is some playing time. There's going to be some opportunity here coming off the season that they had. As far as the staff is concerned, I know there's a lot of buzz around Nolan Smith's name, a guy who's going to be coaching yeah. for Duke uh, tonight against Texas Tech. Have you heard anything else as far as guys that may be getting looked at, guys that may have been talked to, or is there any sort of movement on that front? Yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about uh, in the same way and – and, and, and in, a, in a not disconnected way, I guess, like in the same way that you hear about Sky Clark, I think Joel Justice's name will come up, whether that's a real candidacy. I don't know for sure, but like that's a name as somebody who worked with Kenny at Kentucky and now is at Arizona State. Um, but I was talking to, I talked to somebody yesterday who was telling me, and I've talked to several people who have said similar things, um, you know, like be patient with this because he's going to find that there are dozens of really good coaches who want to come work with him um, because he's, he's so widely liked people like him so much that there will be a lot of people. I was told even some people who have really good jobs um, are at least going to want to talk about, Hey, I'm making X amount here. What could I get at Louisville? You know, what kind of pay cut would I be looking at? I've heard a lot of people tell me things like that, that like, you know, the, it'll, the, the harder job for him will be paring down, the number of good candidates he has, not not scrambling to find them. So that being the case, it could take a little time. You wrote about his contract at the beginning of the week when it became public, and we had the question yesterday. I gave my thoughts. I want to hear your thoughts. You probably know more about this than I do, but a lot of Louisville fans, I think, did a double-take when they saw the different buyout for if he leaves for a college job yeah. as opposed to if he leaves for an NBA job. What do you make of that? I don't know what to make of it, and, and it's something I haven't had a chance to talk to a lot of people about. It definitely stands out you know, to me. Like, actually, it was the, the thing that stood out the most when I first glanced at the contract, and that's because I was writing that story in such a rush that I totally missed the part at the top about you know, if the NCAA does certain things, you, you know, if you get a band, you get an extra year. Like, I totally missed that because it's above the salary, so I jumped down straight to the salary. Um, but as I read through it, that was, the NBA thing was the thing that stood out the most, you know, having just gone through the experience of leaving an NBA team, um, maybe uh, Kenny has fresh in his mind and his representation has fresh in his mind. Some of the difficulties with the NBA and some of the NBA's, uh, you know, possible unwillingness to pay some of those things. And so maybe you have a, you know, maybe that's a little bit fresher in your mind you're, you're in your negotiation. And you think, well, if, if he wants to go to the NBA at some point, we need to make that path a little easier because they may not be as apt to do some of these things as the college programs, I don't know. You know, I don't know where that stands. Maybe it says he's more likely, you know, that, that, that you view it as like you're at Louisville, so you probably don't need a different college job, but you don't want to close the door on those NBA opportunities. But certainly he's somebody who's had a taste of the NBA. Uh, you know, he's been connected to the league for a long time, but to have direct experience coaching in it just the past two years, you know, uh, it's no big secret as somebody who's covered both levels extensively Coaches love the NBA. They like being in the NBA. And so maybe you just kind of want that escape clause and want to make that as easy as you can in case that opportunity ever presents itself. I don't think it means you're, you're thinking about your next job as you take what is kind of a dream job for you. But I, I, maybe it's, uh, it's just an easier way to leave that door a little bit ajar in case you want it. You got the first question at the, the press conference on Friday, the introductory press conference. Hey, that's why you, you get the third time in a row. That's, that's why we keep bringing you back. That's why you're, <laughs> that's why you're the big X star around here. But you asked the main question that I wanted to hear asked, and I'm glad it came up, just about his style, what his philosophies are, how he plans on playing. And he gave you know, kind of the the coach's press conference answer. You know, we're going to play fast. Yeah. Everybody wants to play fast. Everybody wants to score. Uh, he did sort of emphasize he wants to be a good passing team. 
to me, it kind of said he doesn't really have a, a firm grasp just yet. Like, I, I think he's going to wait to see what his staff is and then maybe come to... Like, how do you think this plays out? Do you think he incorporates elements of, of John Calipari's style or do you think he does the whole thing? At the end of the day, how does a, a Kenny Payne Louisville team look X's and O's wise when we're watching them play in November? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't wait to find out. It's why, you know, I am a basketball nerd and so I asked the basketball nerd question to start and there's a lot of questions you could start, but... You could start with, but I, there's a bunch of stuff I knew would get asked, and I was, you know, fairly sure somebody would ask that if I didn't, but I wanted to ask it because I like that kind of stuff a lot. Um, and it was like a, it was an answer, right? Like he answered the question, he he responded, um, but I don't know if he told us anything. Um, I thought the one thing, some of the things he talked about offensively, I was glad he brought up the passing thing. That is, um, you know, that that to me is more than just saying we're going to play fast it's one it's an illustration of understanding modern basketball um and two i think an understanding of a weakness of what you just had probably you know because this was not a good passing team um but i I do think he spoke to modernity a little bit there with the idea of some of the stuff they wanted to do now i would have liked him to go a little bit more specific into you know we we need a a, a vertical spacer who can protect the rim and, and be a lob threat and all that kind of stuff i would like to have heard some more specifics but i think you're right that he may not exactly know those specifics yet i think there will be some calipari staples that you'll see one is that you know calipari's teams typically excellent defensively especially as really good teams and i think they will be focused on that end of the floor and i think mike you've mentioned it before you know that that's where you, you need to be no matter who you are because that can keep you in some games that Louisville wasn't in this year, um, whatever your offense is. And so I think that's really important to them. Um, that'll be very important philosophically. I think there's some staple stuff offensively. Like they're going to want a guard who can, you know, they're going to want more than one, but they're going to want playmaking guards who can get into the middle and then make some decisions. So, you know, this is where I talk about a vertical spacer coming in. One of the real staples, if you ever watch Calipari teams, they love those guards with the floater. Look around the NBA now, and like mm-hmm. some of the best floaters in the league are those guys. They want those guys who, if the help doesn't come, you shoot that floater over your defender. If the help comes, you throw what looks like a floater, but it's a lob to the big who's coming down the baseline or standing in the dunker spot. Like They're going to do some of that stuff, I'm sure, because that's just such a staple of the place he was, and it's also it's, it's current NBA offense. Um, so some of that stuff, I'm sure, will translate. What I'm curious about is, like, you know, he did spend a year and a half in the NBA, and so... Are there things he's taking there? Like, if you watch the Knicks offense, maybe you hope not. But if you watch the Knicks defense, you certainly <laughs> hope so. So, you know, I, I think there's some, you know, he, he just worked for maybe the smartest defensive coach in the NBA and maybe one of the smartest defensive coaches ever in that league. And so maybe there are some things he takes there, too. So I, I'm interested. A lot of times you'll say a coach is a product of, you know, his influences. And, and he was with Cal for so long. And that was the thing that happened most recently. So I think, you know, how much Denny Crum is in there? Is there still any stuff there that they, they might be able to tweak and modernize? Um, you know, how much from his time at Oregon? And then what's he taking from Tibbs? I'm, I'm interested in all that stuff. As someone, and we'll, I'll let you get out of here on this. I know we've kept you for too long. But as someone who was around for the heyday of the Patino Cal back and forth, players first versus Louisville first, and just the, the shot <laughs> yeah. law, like how bizarre is it for you to be here now covering Louisville and to hear things like, the interim AD mentioned William Wesley in a positive light during a press conference <laughs> to have hype yeah. videos featuring like, like narrated by Julius Randall to have like yeah. all this stuff out there. It just, it's going to take some time. I think for everybody on both sides to get a little bit used to this brave new world. 
Absolutely. And like some of the, some of that, you know, I don't think Kenny used the words players first program. Cause like, you know, Cal might have those trademarked and might be litigious. Who knows? But like the stuff he talked about, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about players first. You know, I talked to, I have a story coming out this weekend about him as a recruiter. And I talked to a parent whose son played for him at Kentucky. And one of the things he said is like, Kenny will be about those guys. It will be about those guys fulfilling their dreams. It'll be about those guys, you know, maximizing those guys. And it'll be about caring about those guys. And he said, he said the word, it won't be about wins and losses, which I think is the thing that drives Kentucky fans insane because they believe Cal doesn't care about winning, that he, that he cares more about getting guys in the NBA. And you're going to hear Kenny say some things like that. That's an absurd notion, by the way. Those guys want to win games. <laughs> yeah. They like 100% want to win. Like Cal is not happy that they lost to St. Peter's and won't be happy that they lost to St. Peter's whenever, you know, Ty Ty Washington gets drafted or whatever. He's not going to be like, oh, well, that was fine. Um, but you're going to hear Kenny talk that way because it's part, of the, it's part of the thing. It's part of the recruiting thing. Cal is always recruiting, and Kenny is going to be the same way. The messages he says about, like, players first and uh, caring about players and all that stuff, it's genuine. That's who he is. I've talked to enough people, and I've spent enough time watching Kenny to know that. But it's also part of the identity that he's creating as a coach of this program. And so you are going to hear stuff that sounds very familiar and sounds very much like Cal. And I'm sure there are going to be some Louisville fans who have to adjust. Like the, You're going to have to keep your eyes in place instead of them like automatically rolling when you hear that stuff now. Yeah, I, I'm ready to start winning at this point. I, I think most Louisville <laughs> fans, five years with, uh, with Louisville not in the NCAA tournament or having no NCAA tournament out of the last seven, I think – uh, not worried about wins and losses, probably not going to fly here any better than it did in Lexington. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Brett Dawson, appreciate the time as always. Follow him on Twitter, at writes. Read his stuff over there at the Courier-Journal. Uh, Brett, thanks so much again for your time. Thanks, Mike. I eagerly await time for it. <laughs> we'll make sure it's uh, quicker than the, the, the amount of time between uh, two and three. I promise. Good deal. Uh, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll look ahead to tonight's Sweet 16 games, and I'll offer up some fun facts that I think will make this experience a little bit more enjoyable for you. That's coming up next here on the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. This is it. What? Lucini pouring from the sky. Let's All right, Trev. There we go. Now we got something. I love March Madness emails. I love the every business falling over themselves to try to capitalize when an opportunity presents itself. And I've got two of these in my inbox back to back. And it's just the, the yin and the yang of March Madness endorsement deals and, and brands and wild stories. On one hand, you've got Peacock, the uh, streaming service, the NBC streaming service, which has you know, Saved by the Bell. It's got uh, original series. It's got all this good stuff, and it's awful to use. It's an awful, awful streaming service to use. I, I will call them out right now. Fix your interface. It's awful. But I love that they're offering to – like they're they're funding the transportation and the lodging for the Spirit Squads for St. Peter's and doing all this good stuff. And it's a very feel-good story. The Peacock Network – funding the Peacock team. Like, great. And then right after that, quite literally just below that in my inbox, there's an adult (laughs) entertainment company that is also trying to capitalize on the name of St. Peter's basketball team, their mascots, and is offering to uh, spend $100,000 to 
wrap their team bus in their own personal branding and they they write a letter and it's just I can't you can guess the double entendre that is that is rampant within this press release and within this letter that they've written to the St. Peter's basketball team. I don't think I can say any of it even here on the Big X, but it's just you see these two stories back to back and you're like this is March. This is what we do. This is some of it's good, some of it's a little bit weird. But it's beautiful. We love the NCAA tournament. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about tonight's Sweet 16 games. Before we uh, get into any of that and also take some of your text on the Thornton text line, got to remind you guys again, there's still a few of them left. The Big X golf cards for the 2022 golf season, they're available on BigXSportsRadio.com. We're talking about five courses in southern Indiana, five of the best courses in southern Indiana that you can play for $25 per round, under $25 per round, and that includes cart and also a basket of range balls. Go to BigXSportsRadio.com. Click on the Big X Golf Cards tab at the top of the website. That's going to show you how to get this bad boy. If you don't have the internet, once again, you, you think, you know, computers are a fad. They're going away sometime soon. Everything's going to go back to normal here in 2025. You can call and get a card by dialing 812-725-1457. The five courses we're talking about. Chariot Run, fantastic track, sand traps everywhere. You're going to have a fun time. You're not going to shoot a great score but it's going to challenge you. You're going to be a better golfer because of it. Old Capital, also a fantastic course. Very hilly, very fun. Elk Run, Valley View, Christmas Lake, never played them. Heard they're wonderful. You can play all five of these courses under 25 bucks. You cannot beat that. Get that Big X golf card. Get it before supplies run out because they are limited. Uh, Thornton Sex Line, 502-414-1450. I want to get to as many as I can here before we start talking about these Sweet 16 games. Uh, Texter says, I can't read that. <laughs> Great start. Texas, has UofL, with all of its history, ever landed the number one recruit? Not since recruiting rankings became an official thing in the quote-unquote rival scout 247 era. No. I think in the sort of unofficial era when they were ranking recruits, Daryl Griffith, I think probably would have been that number one recruit uh, in his class coming out. I think they talked about, if you go and read the newspaper articles on the day that he committed to Louisville, there's a whole lot of talk about him being the number one player in the entire country as far as high school basketball is concerned. But if you look at, oh boy, I just pulled it up. If you look at the highest rated recruits to ever sign with Louisville in the rivals era, which dates back to 2001, I believe. This is going to show why maybe Louisville fans don't trust recruiting, period, or don't get excited or as excited as we should when a five-star kid pops for UofL. Here are the highest-rated players to ever sign with Louisville, according to the 24-7 sports rankings. The highest-rated player, Samardo Samuels. Out of St. Benedict Prep, he was the USA Today National Player of the Year, and at the end of the day, with his class in 2008, he was the number four overall player. Highest-rated player to ever sign with Louisville. Was good here for two years. I think, safe to say, did not live up to the hype. Uh, went pro, spent some time with the Cleveland Cavaliers, was not drafted, and... If you're a top five player in America coming out of high school and you play two years of college, you're not a first-team all-conference player, you're not even drafted, you have to be viewed as a disappointment. I think Samardo Samuels, even though he wasn't terrible, to hear some people tell it, you know, he averaged two points per game and, and zero rebounds. He was, he was better than that, but he was not what you expect from the number four player overall in the class. Number two, second highest rated player ever to sign with Louisville. Another one that's going to make you shudder. It makes me shudder. Sebastian Telfair. The man to blame for everything that's happened to Louisville basketball in the last 20 years that's been bad, Sebastian Telfair. He was the number six overall player in the 2004 class. 
Of course, he famously signs with Louisville and then declares for the NBA draft, costing Louisville a chance at Rajon Rondo and then ultimately forcing Louisville to sign <clears throat> Andre McGee a year later. In the same vein, the third highest ranked player to ever sign with Louisville, Brian Bowen, never played a game here. Was here for a couple practices. Bam, FBI probe into college basketball. Boom, Louisville's in another hellscape. Number four, a guy we've talked about a lot today on the show, or a decent amount of the show today. Samuel Williamson is the fourth highest ranked player to ever sign with Louisville. He's played three full seasons here. Once again, safe to say, I think disappointment, all things considered. McDonald's All-American, top 20 player in his class. You expect him to do more in three years. Then he's done. He wasn't a starter last year as a McDonald's All-American in his third year at Louisville. Number five, Amir Johnson went pro as well. Never played a day at Louisville. Number six, the sixth highest rated player to ever sign with Louisville, Shane Bahannon. Mixed bag as well. The good was really good. His freshman year, he's the MVP of the West region when Louisville goes to the Final Four. He's a starter and a solid player on the national title team a year later. The -the off-the-court stuff catches up with him. He gets kicked off the team his junior year. Never really, I mean, as good as he was, I think you still probably say, at least individually, not quite as good as you'd expect a five-star kid who's number 22 overall in his class to be. Number seven, Earl Clark. Love Earl. I'm not going to say a bad word about him. He's fantastic. Love him. Everything he was supposed to be. I know some people may disagree. Number eight, VJ King. Bust. No way around it. Love the kid personally. Very nice kid. Was not the type of player here that you expect a five-star player, number 24 in the class of 2016, to be. Right after him, Derek Character. Didn't work out great. Showed flashes. Could never get right. Suspended, not suspended. Coming back to the team. Kicked off the team. Eventually kicked off the team for good. Goes to UTEP. Has an okay year. Cup of coffee with the Lakers. That's it. Juan Palacios, right after him. And then this is the one that I forgot, because now character's the last five-star that Louisville ever signed. Below, the the crop right below them. Juan Palacios was a four-star. He was the number 24 overall player in the class of 2004. I had forgotten how highly regarded Malik Williams was. Malik Williams, the same Malik Williams we're talking about, who's just now graduating. He was the number 27 overall player in the class of 2017. I think safe to say, another guy didn't pan out. Right after him, another guy who didn't pan out, Shaquan Aaron, four-star player, number 28 in his class. Wayne Blackshear, right after him. And then you have to go all the way down the list, all the way down to these names to get to these three back-to-back-to-back. These are the 13th, 14th, and 15th highest-rated players to ever sign with Louisville. How about this? Donovan Mitchell, Terry Rozier, Peyton Siva. Pretty good trio. Dangadell's right after them, and Brian Harvey's right after them. We've we've had some we've had some bad bad run with recruiting, even when we've gotten it right. You know, the constant complaint from Louisville fans, even when Rick Pacino was here and the team was having a whole lot of success, was not getting the type of top ten, five star player, surefire NBA draft picks that Kentucky and some other schools were getting. And even when we got those guys, didn't pan out great. That is a wild list to read. Man. Texas wasn't Samaro Samuel's number one. He was, like I said, he, he was not, he was the USA Today National Player of the Year. I think when he committed to Louisville, he was number two in his class, but the final rankings for 247 had him at number four, and I'm looking at it now, the final rankings for Rivals actually had him at number eight. So he was a consensus top 10 player in his class, 
uh, top five according to 24-7, but not number one. Uh, Texas said, I'm ready to... Oh. Where's Texas says, where's Blackshirt on that list? I think we just we just got him. Uh, we just got to him. Texas says, the Shaquan Aaron hype the summer before he got on campus was kind of crazy. Him dropping 50-plus on Jamal Crawford in the Pro-Am was wild. I thought Shaquan Aaron was going to be really good. I love the way that he played, watching him play some high school games and then watching him play in, in said Pro-Am. He seemed to have a great feel for the game. I thought, like everybody else, he needed to put on some weight, but I didn't think it was going to be something that made him ineffective at the next level. He was not great. He was not good. He hit the side of the backboard more than I think he made shots. It was just a, a wild thing to watch. I don't know if Rick Pitino broke him. You know, that was such a talk, uh, talking point when Pitino was here that freshmen, you know, sometimes just didn't like the way that he coached and didn't like that he didn't play them as much as, as some fans wanted him to, and they could never become the player that they should have become. I think that argument would carry more weight if Shaquan Aaron had gone to USC and done anything. Instead, he went to USC and he was a super average player for the next three years. So, yeah, I mean, this list is 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 a lot of guys who just did not pan out. There's there's no other way to put it. Texas, I thought Derek Character was highly rated. Yeah, he was he was on the list. We got to him. Um, Texas says thank you for the DJ update. No problem. Big thanks to Kyle Tucker and also Brett Dawson for their updates. Uh, Texas says, could I interest Cal in a one slightly used offensive wonderkin, Ross McBain's? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. If he's going to get an offensive coordinator, I've, we got a little bit of advice for you. Texas says, no Louisville fan is suggesting Payne will be a bad hire if DJ doesn't come to Louisville, but if we had hired little Mick Cronin, we wouldn't even have a chance. Well, no, you, you wouldn't have a chance with DJ Wagner if you hire Mick Cronin. I think that that's the, there's the give and the take. With Mick Cronin, you're hiring him for... X's and O stuff. The fact that he's, you know, doing a good job at UCLA, coaching the program well. He's recruited well enough, but you're not bringing him in here to hire to get DJ Wagner. If if anybody besides Kenny Payne comes to Louisville, DJ Wagner's going to Kentucky. But I do think, like, I'm not saying, I don't think there'll be Louisville fans who say Payne is a bad hire. I think there will be a group of Louisville fans who will be very disappointed if DJ Wagner doesn't come here, just because. That's the one big attribute that Kenny Payne has. We don't know about his X's and O's. We know, I mean, I'm saying the same things a billion times, I know. We know he's never been a coach before, all that stuff. But the benefit that is supposed to outweigh all that is he's getting the best of the best. He's bringing in players. And I know that there's a there are a million valid reasons why DJ Wagner would pick Kentucky, not just the usual reasons that top recruits pick Kentucky, but there's the, the relationship that we've talked about. But even if that happens, I think you will have some Louisville fans who say, man, we brought this guy in here to get players. There's a kid with direct Louisville ties, with direct Kenny Payne ties. He's still going to Kentucky. What are we doing here? I think that can be counteracted if you land a couple of other top 15, top 10 players from the 2023 class. But there will, I mean, it, everybody knows DJ Wagner. People who don't follow recruiting know who DJ Wagner is. Everybody's talking about this. It's going to be a hit to whichever program doesn't get him. I think it will be a much larger hit to Kentucky, but it will be—it won't be nothing if Louisville doesn't get DJ Wagner. Texas, think of that list now. Think where Kirk, Luke, and Russ and Zhang were ranked. Well, they weren't ranked anywhere. <laughs> I mean, Luke was not a top 150 prospect when he went to George Mason. Russ was like number 122. Gorgie was a three-star. Kyle Kirk, I think, was a low four-star. Yeah, some of the players, and that's. It will always rub me the wrong way, the narrative that's been painted about the Rick Pitino era and the scandal stuff. 
about how Louisville's success in the mid-aughts era was all about cheating to get players. When the reality is during that time, the biggest complaint that Louisville fans had about Rick Pitino was he wasn't getting enough recruits. And the guys who fueled that run, besides Peyton Siva, you didn't hear him on that list. And Siva was down there at number 15. Russ Smith, two-star player. Gorgie, not, a, not on anybody's recruiting rankings. Kyle Kirk, the year before, leading scorer on the 2012 team. Not a big-time recruit. That's the way it was. Rick was a great developer of talent. There's no way around it. Texas says, was it Derek Character that had a game with zero stats across the board except for five fouls? I don't, I don't remember that, but it kind of sounds right. Texas says, if, you, if U of L lands DJ Wagner, would we avenge our loss of Teague DUK? Yeah. I mean, DJ Wagner's a bigger deal than Marcus Teague. I know Teague was a great player and he was a high profile recruit. We're talking about the number one overall player in the class. And I think also, if you're talking about avenging things, It'll be more about avenging losing Dewan to John Calipari back when Cal was at Memphis. Because Dewan Wagner is the first, he was the recruit that every Louisville fan knew back before every Louisville fan was following recruiting. Everybody knew about Dewan Wagner. Everybody knew that he was Milt's kid. Everybody knew that he scored 112 points in a game. Like he was, there was Dewan Wagner updates every day in the Courier Journal at a time when that did not happen. And to lose him to Memphis because Milt got put on the staff there was a huge blow. And I think everybody thought it was just sort of wrong. And this would kind of fix that. Um, Texas says, you're right about Allen. Kentucky fans were the same way about Derek Willis. The only difference was the team was going to Final Fours while he was young and then developed into a solid player by a senior year. I think that that's, that's certainly a part of it. There's, there's no question. But Dante Allen going elsewhere, hope he has success. Texas says, do you expect DJ's recruitment to go the distance, meaning waiting until signing day? I've got no idea. No, absolutely no idea. Texas, you don't have to name specific players, but how many players on the current roster would you want to see come back next year? Six. You can guess. Texas, I thought the Trey Lyles recruitment hurt just as much, if not more, than the Teak recruitment. I think that's a good point. Um, I remember talking, I don't mind saying it, talking specifically to Tom Jurich about the Trey Lyles recruitment. And he said, I talked to Rick, I talked to the staff. They said, we talked to his dad after his visit. It went as well as it could possibly go. We did everything we could possibly do. His dad spoke glowingly about Louisville. We thought it was done. We thought we had him. He went to Kentucky. And I do think that that, that absolutely hurt. More recently, we had Bryce Hopkins go. And that was kind of and that was a different deal because he was a four-star player. He wasn't uh, the type of player that you expect to lose to Kentucky. And he had, you know, he had, what? We had one really good game this year, but he's kind of been buried at UK. All right, let's move on. I know I, I spoke a little bit too long there, but the Sweet 16 back in action tonight. I've got a couple of, of quick facts. If you read this on Card Chronicle or SB Nation today, I apologize for repeating myself, but some interesting things about these games tonight and tomorrow that I think are fun uh, little facts. Number one, Duke tonight playing Texas Tech. They're the two seed. Texas Tech is the three seed, but the Red Raiders are a one-point favorite. Coach K, this is the 26th time he's been to the Sweet 16. It's just the fourth time that he's been an underdog in the Sweet 16. The other three times, Duke has lost those games. I think they go down tonight. I think we watch Coach K go down tonight, and we watch his career end. If he doesn't, if they don't, if they win, it will be Mike Krzyzewski's 100th all-time NCAA tournament victory. I'd love to see him end at 99. You know he wants the big round number, even though 99 is already the most of any coach in history. You know he wants that big round number. Uh, North Carolina and UCLA both appearing in the Sweet 16 for the 35th time in program history. Tied for second all-time behind Kentucky who's at 44, and it's also 
just the third time UCLA and Carolina have ever met in the NCAA tournament, which is sort of a strange fact when you consider how relevant and how prominent those two programs have been really since college basketball started to become a thing. Also, UCLA and Carolina, they played in the 68 title game. It's one of two championship game rematches in the Sweet 16, the other one being Villanova versus Michigan. Uh, They squared off in the 2018 national title game. Nova rolled that one. Gonzaga looking to become just the fourth number one overall seed to cut down the nets since the committee began designating the number one overall seed back in 04. Florida in 2007, Kentucky in 2012, Louisville in 2013, only top overall seeds to win the NCAA championship. Kind of a bizarre fact when you consider how many one seeds have won overall over that same stretch. Uh, Gonzaga also was the number one overall seed last year when they got beat by Baylor in the title game. I've mentioned this several times. It's one of my favorite bits, bits of trivia. Every seed line from one to eight has produced at least one national champion besides the number five seed. Only one five seed left standing. It's Houston. They take on Arizona tonight. And unfortunately for them, five seeds against one seeds are just nine and 47 all time. There have been six overtime games already in the 2022 NCAA tournament that ties for the second most all time. The record is seven. It's been done three times, the 95, 97, and 2014 tournament. So if we get two more overtime games between now and the national title game a week from Monday, we're going to have the most overtimes in the history of the NCAA tournament. Gonzaga, seventh straight Sweet 16 appearance. It's the second, uh, tied for the third longest streak in the history of college basketball. Carolina and Duke. Uh, both had been to nine consecutive Sweet 16s. That's tied for the most. It should also be noted Michigan, their fifth consecutive Sweet 16 uh, appearance. That's tied for the fifth longest streak of all time. We've got four double-digit seeds in the Sweet 16. It's the first time in history we've had back-to-back NCAA tournaments with four double-digit seeds in the second weekend. The record for most double-digit seeds in a Sweet 16 is five back in 1999. Another one of my favorite facts about the tournament, when you're filling out your bracket, keep this one locked in your brain. At least one power conference team that's been seeded ninth or worse has been in the Sweet 16 every year since 2008. One of these teams that you think sucks, how they get in the tournament, they're an afterthought, they make a run. This year we've got three. Miami, Iowa State, Michigan, all teams seeded ninth or worse from power conferences. Also, number 10 Miami versus number 11 Iowa State. It's just the fourth all-time Sweet 16 meeting between a 10 and an 11 seed. Each of the other three times this has happened, the underdogs won the game. Two of the three times it's happened, 2011 VCU, 2016 Syracuse, that 11 seed's gone on to crash the Final Four. If you're wondering, Miami, they're a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think they win, but history says Iowa State. Surprisingly, three ACC teams are in the Sweet 16. Fourth straight year, the ACC has sent multiple teams to the Sweet 16. It's the longest active streak of any conference. The Big Ten had 12 consecutive years with multiple teams in the Sweet 16, but that was broken last year. Baylor getting knocked off in the second round means... 14th straight tournament where we won't have a back-to-back national champion and where the reigning national champion has failed to even make it to a Final Four. 14 of the 16 teams uh, still standing have been to at least one Final Four. The only teams that haven't, Miami and, of course, St. Peter's. Miami's never been to an Elite Eight. If they beat Iowa State, it'll be their first regional final appearance. And, of course, St. Peter's had never won an NCAA tournament game, period, before this year. The Peacocks, just the third 15 seed in the history of the tournament to make a Sweet 16 None of the other two qualify for a regional final. If St. Peter's beats Purdue tomorrow, they'll be the first 15 seed to ever make the Elite Eight. And finally, in each of the last NCAA tournament sec- in each of the last eight NCAA tournament second weekends, at least one team seated fifth or worse has gone on to make the Final Four. And in seven of those eight years, a team seated seventh or worse has gone on to make the Final Four. Don't be shocked 
if we get one, at least one, bizarro team winning their region this weekend and crashing the Final Four. As far as tonight's games are concerned, I love tonight's slate. I kind of wish it was the Friday night slate because you're going to have to stay up late. Friday night's better for that. Gonzaga, Arkansas. I feel like the Zags have at least one game in this run where they're just going to blow somebody out and remind all the doubters of how good they are, how good they could be. I think you saw that last year when they beat USC so badly. I think this might be the game. I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks Arkansas is going to push them just because I haven't been that impressed with Gonzaga the last few weeks. I don't think they're nearly as good as they were last year. But I'm going. I, I also can't get the memory of Arkansas getting blown to bits by A&M in the SEC tournament out of my mind. I'm going Zags, and I'm going big. I think they cover. I think they win handling. I think they look very impressive. And then they lay an egg probably at some point between now and whenever this tournament ends. Michigan Nova, like I said, rematch of the 2018 NCAA tournament. Nova is 2-0 against Michigan all-time in the NCAA tournament. Also, 15 seed, or two seeds versus 11 seeds. Two seeds are 15-3. and three. I like the way Michigan's playing. I still don't think Nova's as strong as their profile is. But I think they're... I think they win. I think they cover tonight. Also has to be noted, Nova, they're shooting 82.6% from the free throw line as a team. If that holds, it'll be the highest single season team free throw percentage in D1 history. Last year, I can't remember, I think it was Oral Roberts actually, came into the NCAA tournament with the same stat. They were about to be the best free throw shooting team in history, and they blew it. One last note for all the, you know, all the old people who are like, oh, free throw shooting sucks now. This is going to be the best collective free throw shooting season in the history of college basketball. Unless something insane happens these last two two weeks of the NCAA tournament, it's going to be the best every team has shot free throws collectively since the sport existed. It's going to break the record set in 2017-18. I think Nova wins. I'll say they, they win and cover. Duke-Texas Tech mentioned all the stats earlier. I think Texas Tech wins. They're great defensively. I don't think Duke has an answer for what they do defensively. Arizona-Houston, I think, is a fascinating game. Arizona's my... They were my pick to win the national title. I did not like the way they looked against TCU. 80 is the magic number for them. They're 28-0 this season when they score at least 80 points, something that they've done in eight straight games, all wins going into tonight. They're also 5-3 and three when they fail to score 80 points. I think Benedict Matherin is oh, he's so good. Didn't play great at the beginning of the TCU game, but I think found his footing at the end. I think he carries that momentum over. Also should be said, Mentioned earlier, one seeds versus five seeds, 47 and nine all time. Love Houston. Love what they've been able to do. Kelvin Sampson is about as good as it gets in college basketball. Zona wins. Zona covers tonight. I'm excited about it. Quick note about tomorrow's show. If you're a Card Chronicle podcast listener, if you're a fan, we got a treat for you tomorrow. Danny Sennard, the man I've co-hosted with, he's in town tomorrow. He's coming here. We're doing the show together. It should be a lot of fun. We'll react to all of uh, all of Thursday night's games. We'll look ahead to Friday night's games. We'll talk about the women's basketball team's game on Saturday. And if something crazy happens on the men's basketball front or the football front, I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in today and helping us out on the text line. Big thanks to Brett Dawson, Cam Teague Robinson, and Kyle Tucker for joining the show. Enjoy the games tonight. Enjoy your Thursday evening. We'll see you guys right back here tomorrow at 3 o'clock on the Big X.